Hello everyone. Oh, do you like this microphone? It's nice, isn't it? Yeah, it sounds nice, doesn't it? Well, it's not gonna because I plugged it in wrong and so in this episode of SZTP I accidentally recorded my whole thing through my webcam's built-in microphone and it doesn't sound good. I'm sorry, it's just one episode. Sorry! Hey boomers! It's terrible, we need your help! It's Sonic the Comic the Podcast! Your online guide to the Sega sensational world of the 90s via the lens of the UK's official Sonic comic called, ah, something, Sonic the Comic! We're the humans who think we're in charge. I am Dave Bulmer. And I am Chris McFeely, and we are here with issue number 97. 97? Yeah, yeah. 90, we've done 97 of something. Of Sonic the Comic. I feel like every issue in the 90s mm. if it hasn't been every issue in the 90s it's been a good few of them where we've gone 90 yeah. whatever <laughs> because good lord because 97 it's, it's ridiculous we've been doing these for so long and they and, and what of course what it means is that at the time that this issue came out sonic the comic was like felt like a beano to us it was just a thing that had always existed now it's been going on and on and on we're a hair's breadth from issue 100 <laughs> yeah this issue, cover dated February the 18th, was released on the 5th of February 1997, and it begins. Hey, yeah. The march to issue 100. I feel like we mentioned it before, but... Yeah, we didn't know at the time whether they had something big planned for issue 100, but they have, and we're starting towards it today. And what better herald of that fact mm. than the fact it's a Richard Elson cover featuring artwork that bears relation to the content of the comic? Yeah! I mean, Jesus Christ. And it must have taken ages to draw, because what he's done is it's Sonic doing a big run along, and he's done that thing where you draw in the whoosh loads of, loads of not silhouettes, I nearly said silhouettes. Nope, loads of no. full drawings of Sonic going along this big run. Like, the very first image of him in STC did that. Fully rendered and coloured by, I think John Burns did the colours to this cover. Mm -hmm. Not even using like a simplified palette or, or yeah. cell shading or anything like that. Fully painted as he runs through the streets of New Tech City and two suns yes. glow in the sky above him. What? And the fact this was a Richard Elson cover struck me because it feels like we never get those. Mm. I know they'll become, they will become the standard in the future. Really? But right now, yeah, it might even be mostly in the reprint days, mm, to be honest. Yeah. But, but um, of course, I realised then we did have a Richard Elson cover like two issues mm. ago, the New Year issue with Sonic opening the oh, door. Oh, yes, it was a nice one. Well, really. in. But before that, you got to go back to Halloween. And then before mm. that, you got to go back to the issue where Porker leaves. Mm. Like, they're, they're few and far oh, between one, the Richard yeah. Elson covers. Yeah, and unfortunately, because it's not coloured by him, this one only half counts. No. Do you not think so? No. I think it looks so different. No, like, this one doesn't jump out at me as being immediately distinctively different. Yeah, it does to me. There's something about how shiny he is. But then John Burns has coloured Richard Elson's lines a few times, so... Yeah. The shading's not the same as it would. No, it's not, and it's fine, like. But it's just, oh, it hasn't got the, it hasn't got the oomph of some of the really classic Elson covers, you know, your Sonic and Knuckles ones. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. Something about the overall palette. New heart-stopping story, Doomsday. Eep. You what? I just went. Eep. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and other new stories: Freedom Fighters, Decap Attack, Knuckles. And a decap attack pinup and change of art movie uh, graphics. And just before we open that up, we're going to flip it over. We're going to see what's on the back because we have a full page. 
Bad. Bad. Bad to the bone. You'd be barking mad to miss it. <laughs> Not loads of hard work has been put into this page mm. advert. No. Um, imagine a sheet of white paper. <laughs> Just imagine that. Right, bad to the bone in red letters covering, what, the top about third of the page. Yep. The word bad is very, very big. Then there's a photo of a puppy. And at this point, you're supposed to be trying to guess what this is going to emerge to be an advert of, listeners. Yes, yes, yes. It's a, it's a little, little puppy. It would give it away if we told you exactly. Much more about the puppy. Yes. It's got a pair of uh, sunglasses photoshopped yep. onto it. Rastified by about 10% or so. Yeah. And it says, you'd be barking mad to miss it. That's a quote from Big Magazine. That was a very big magazine. A well-known publication, I'm sure. Yes, you remember how many times you used to have to unfold it before you could read that? <laughs> <laughs> it was a broadsheet. This time, the magic is real, is the tagline at the bottom. For this film is at cinemas everywhere, this half-term holiday. Can can you get can us? You what, get what, what was it everywhere at half-term February 1997? <laughs> this is... The live-action remake of 101 Dalmatians. Is that Disney's first live-action remake? I feel like it is. People say The Jungle Book, but I don't really feel like it counts. No, that's just another film about The Jungle Book, It's just another film of The Jungle Book, yeah. Whereas this is very actively... I mean, the the dogs don't talk in it. That's the big thing about it, which is the right choice. Mm. And if they made it today, the f***ing dogs would talk in it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. This film was alright. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was good enough they made a second one. Uh, Glenn yeah. Close was good in it. I mean, yeah, of course that was. was the reason they made a second one, really, wasn't it? She was good in it. <laughs> yeah. I have an anecdote about this. Um, Exciting. Engaging. Profound. It's time for your content. Dave's interesting story. When I got my first PC for my bedroom, um, not the first PC the family had, but uh, eventually I got one for my own self. Uh, presumably because Dad was like, oh, come on, (laughs) I want to use my computer! (laughs) Um, It came, it was a tiny computer. It was a tiny computer for a tiny boy. Tiny little boy! Uh, Yeah, no, the company was called Tiny, and it was a pre-made PC, and it came with a DVD drive. Good God. Yeah, because this was 1999 or 8. And so I would sit there with with a cup of drink, and I'd be watching, watching... The Matrix, obviously. Obviously, obviously, in 1999, obviously. First DVD ever on board, foldy over case, little clasp on the edge. Little plastic thing, rubbish. Yeah, but it came with this. 101 Dalmatians was the demo disc that came with my DVD drive. Hmm. And it actually served me very well. Um, I watched the film once. I have watched the film once in my life. That's, That's that. When I went to university, though, I took it with me. And I may have mentioned, I feel like I may have mentioned this on the podcast already. So when I went to university, we got there and dad was like, right, I'm suddenly worried about you uh, now that I see that this is real and I have to drive away uh, for like an hour or hour and a half, whatever, however long it is from the Midlands to Liverpool. Oh, bless. And so he gave me a hundred pounds to be going with. You know, that was for all my food I had to eat. That was my groceries. What do I do with £100? There's going to be people hanging out in my room that's going to be like, what am I going to do? Keep it in my pocket at all times? No. Chris, I kept it in the box for the DVD of 101 Dalmatians. Knowing that no... Never once a single opened that box in the whole time I was there. It was uncrackable, that safe. 
because no one ever wanted no to go near it. No one would touch it. <laughs> it worked perfectly. And that is the legacy of 101 Dalmatians. That's it. That's the good it has brought to my life. Control Zone. <laughs> Control Zone. I was taken aback indeed mm. by this control zone. Hey boomers, I feel it in my circuits yep. and I feel it in my hose. I was like, ah, oh, like that song like that was that popular song, at the yeah. time, you remember? Kind of throws yeah. off the meter by putting the and in, but alright. <laughs> don't worry, I haven't blown a gasket. I'm, so I'm wondering why he's kicking off with this. Yeah. And he says, don't worry, I haven't blown a gasket. It's just your heart stopping host welcoming you to this Valentine's issue of STC. What? It's not Valentine in the slightest. I was. I mean, obviously... Oh, wait, is it February now? It, it is, is it's the first week of February. God, time! Look, well, maybe, listen, it may be the first <laughs> week of February, but it's still over a week until Valentine's <laughs> Day. So it's like, nah, it's not even worth it. And I, I, don't, I don't think that was their thought process. <laughs> I think that the obviously slashed budget that we've witnessed over the last couple yeah. of issues didn't extend to a crappy free card this year. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. That's why it doesn't. That's why, isn't it? That's why it doesn't feel like a Valentine's issue because they never did Valentine's stories, or did they? I don't think they did. Never stories, but the covers always covers. Uh, bore it out with that CG Sonic and then Doctor Robotnik mm-hmm. doing this Cupid thing. Mm, yeah. Come to think of it, like those fell in the midst of or, or at the start of some of the biggest epics in the comic. You know, mm. Valentine first Valentine's issue. Remember was Day of the Death Egg. Eh? No cards. Oh, how romantic. Yeah. But just the idea that they can't stretch to a bit of cardboard with a bit of clip art on it. Oh, you wouldn't. Oh, God. Well, we've the last two issues have just been nothing but clip art on the covers. It'd be worrying to even think what a Valentine's card made around this time period would look like. It'd probably know? be the exact same art that they used for the badge a couple of issues ago, wouldn't it? And it was like, uh, have a super sonic Day, comma, Valentine, exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, oh, I made myself sad. <laughs> that, As I was saying that, it took shape in my mind, and I was like, oh, surely you must have been able to buy that product at some point in the 90s. <laughs> There's just no way that didn't exist. You know, the most rote way possible, incorporating a licensed character into a Valentine's thing. I just thought of another one in my head because I was thinking, and I bet the company that made that would just shift in and out a bit of clip art, and I came up with, have a happy Valentine, dude. And it's just Bart Simpson. Exactly, <laughs> like, yeah. And no other... Uh, don't have a cow this Valentine's <laughs> yeah. Day. You know, so, you know, <laughs> oh. Delay your usual cow having just for this day. Well, Megadroid has strong feelings oh. that we'll all be thrilled by the content oh. of this issue. Doomsday, <laughs> Victims, Decap Attack, Boiling Point, Groovy Graphics in Change of Art. Mm. Change of Art like Change of Heart like change because of Heart because it's Valentine's yeah. Day like a Valentine's Heart yes. but Change of Art. It's very, so. very sexy. <laughs> Mm. We'll get there. We will get there. <laughs> One last thing, boomers. If love is in the air, maybe that explains where all my cards have disappeared to. Into thin air. <laughs> See you in a fortnight for another irresistible issue. Makes me sad to think no children were sending Megadroid Valentine's cards. Mm. I feel like it must have happened in years past. Huh. I've never thought of that before. Unless, disclaimer, unless I did and I said it on the podcast and it's and part of the recorded history. It's yeah. entirely possible. <laughs> because... Two different kinds of kid would send Megadroid a Valentine's card. One, someone who's just vying for attention generally, just wants to show willing that here I am, here you go. Yeah. And one who does fancy Megadroid. Yeah. There'll be kids who had a thing, because you do remember when you were a kid, all it took was one dream, and for the rest of the day you were obsessed, like, oh, I've got a new crush now. 
And it could be anything or anyone. He was a very welcoming older figure. Uh-huh. It'd be normal for young people to have crushes on him. Yeah, he has a sense of friendliness, a light touch of authority. There's a lot to go for there. But I've never thought of it before. And I, yeah, I bet if, you, if that was you, listener, we won't make fun of you, please. We we might make please right. I mean, the thing about original brand Megadroid, it's well, it's hard to imagine anybody fancying the new Megadroid, isn't it? That's probably what it is, you know, with his flipper hands and literally nothing below the belt. <laughs> you know, you're not getting anything out of him. What's he gonna do for you? Old Megadroid had fingers and a crotch. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say the opposite because old Megadroid was like a. A chunky, curmudgeonly block. Whereas this one, yeah. he's sleek, he's shiny, he's all young and cool, you know? I uh, Yeah, you know, see, you're approaching it with the sort of the spirit of the character. Yeah. And I'm just looking at it from a purely cold, mechanical does, point of view, you know. Does he have a... T- How am I gonna <laughs> f*** Megadroid? You know, this is... <laughs> or yeah. vice versa. The other one had a more visible slot. <laughs> Move on to the next bit, quick. <laughs> But then we have a, a as if to apologise for the lack of Valentine's card this year, yeah. uh, a quick cobbling together of a feature box underneath the Hey Boomers box, um, in which they suggest we give STC as if it was a Valentine's card itself. Um, one wonders whether something more robust was meant to go here. Did they have a Valentine's card planned and just didn't get it done? I, no, I wouldn't assume that at all. This is just like, I don't know. we got to do something. Put a picture of Sonic and Amy there and put a heart between them. It'll do. Clip art. Oh, Clip art. We've, we've already had a transfer of this Amy. It's, yeah. So it says, say it with STC. Oi! Be a mega-hearted boomer, make a date, hmm, to introduce a friend to STC, and they too could be bitten by the sonic bug. It's an advert, it's an advert for STC. It's not even inviting love. No. <laughs> no. It's just get, share it with a friend. Yep, show someone, it says yep there, <laughs> right in the middle of the <laughs> it says yep, uh, yep. Yeah, we're really doing <laughs> this, yep. Yeah. Show someone, yep, show someone you care, and they too could fall hook, line, and sinker. Which sounds like, you know, that's not love, that's being tricked. <laughs> Fall hook, line, and sinker for the comic that's so cool it's hot. Like a Pop-Tart. Um, but backwards. Uh, now that's what I call a beautiful friendship. So they're not even, it's not give this to a person you like and they might like, it's no, it's like, please, please increase our circulation. Yeah. <laughs> and that is... The, Sometimes you can see when space has been filled, can't you? Yeah. It's it's like putting the special sunglasses on and it just says space filler. <laughs> <laughs> the so Sonic 3D and Sonic and Knuckles making a showing up there in the main drive. Nice. Sonic nice, 3D nice, holding nice. fast at position number yes. two. But with position number one being FIFA, we FIFA. know that means Sonic 3D is really it. In fact, at number one. Um, and then uh, a brand new game in the Game Gear chart... Called Man Overboard. <laughs> For the uh, fourth <laughs> issue on the trot at this point. Yes. I feel like we can't keep calling this one out at this point. Uh, they're not updating the Game Gear and Mega CD charts anymore. We said it last um, issue, but yeah. The question is, how long will they keep up this charade? That's what I'm interested to see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's four now. Yeah. So let's keep monitoring the situation. Uh, yeah, the Saturn is where it's at again, with Virtua Cop 2 in at number 1, Command and Conquer in at number 5, and Actua Golf. Well, they can't all be winners in at number 6. So it's nice to know something was going on on the Saturn, because it really felt like that it, it kind of wasn't. Yeah. 
Doomsday, Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, colors by Joan Burns, and letters by Tom Frame. After saving New Tech City from disease-spreading supervillain Dr. Plague, Sonic is contacted by Porker Lewis, who attempts to warn him of something bad occurring back on Mobius, but is cut off before he can give any details. Then things get worse with the sudden appearance in the sky of a second sun, the first sign in an old Special Zone prophecy that foretells the end of the world, and the reappearance of the Omniviewer, who brings our heroes dire warnings. While, across town, Lord Sidewinder identifies the new sun as bearing the energy signature of Supersonic. Oh, thank God. Thank God, Dave. It's a, it's a banger. Oh, Yeah, this is a real banger. I've been needing one for a while now. Page one. Lord Sidewinder's house is just back. Uh, maybe it's a different house. In the Eastern District stands a weird building. Like, you know, yes. maybe this is his summer home or something. Yeah, that'll be it, yeah. He's, he, the decor is very similar, though. Um, he's got a Phantom of the Opera organ there in the corner. And a Dr. Jekyll table of yeah. medical <laughs> devices, flasks, orbs, yeah. the like. With tubes going between them, all that stuff. And uh, a library of books entitled Sorcery. Oh, I didn't look! Nasty Stuff. And a Mr. Cuddle Bunny volume. Yes! <laughs> and Nasty Stuff is by Deborah Tate. Oh, so it is! <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Oh, that's great. I didn't even spot them. I presume what we can deduce from this is that Decap Attack takes place in the specials. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, they really are tying things together in this issue. Page two. Chaotic's not being wanted by the police is just back. What the flip is that? What, you know, so, yeah, they round up Dr. Plague's goons. And, by the way, yeah. I like Dr. Plague. This feels mm. like the way superheroes should always have been in this. Oh! As the background radiation to the, right. the bigger Sonic story that was going on. Okay, right, right. And also, he's not a direct spoof or parody of anything in particular. He looks like Kerblamus, <laughs> the exploding man from does the Mask he? animated series. Does he? He does. Look it up, look it up. Google it now. Kerblamus, right. the exploding man. Oh, yeah, okay, yeah. Big fat guy, green suit, weird off-colour skin, red hair. Belt circling the bit. Well, he's got green hair, Kablamus, but oh, yeah. yeah I, didn't, then, but I, yes, I didn't actually look him up. It was just that he fired oh, yeah. and made me think it was him. So that, I guess my, my memory picture of what colour Kablamus' hair was is wrong. Look at that. Aha! <laughs> uh -huh. Everyone make fun of Chris that his memory of what Kablamus' hair colour was oh, wrong. Oh, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I could remember Dr. Killimoff, but I didn't remember what colour Kablamus' hair was. <laughs> I've never heard of Kablamas. But also, he has that, because he's got the big toxic logo on his belt, it's like half the toys that came out in the 90s look like this guy. Was, <laughs> yes, there is big 90s toy energy from this guy. He, yeah. There was a few of this guy in just the Turtles toy line alone, wasn't there? <laughs> Not, he would have come with a canister of ooze. Yeah, before you even get to Captain Planet that presumably had one or two of them. Oh, yeah. Toxic Crusaders. But no, so they round up this guy's goons who are all like, uh, again, I'm sure there were toys of these guys too. You know, they look like radiation rangers from Toxic Crusaders. Identical guys with beekeeper hazmat suit helmets on them. Mm. But um, yeah, so they round him up, leave him in a pile, and SBO says, here come the cops. Looks like Chaotic's work is finished. And the, the footnote simply says, uh, Chaotic, sir, uh, no longer wanted by the police. <laughs> Which is for no reason. At all. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, cause we made the joke, didn't we, that obviously they were delivering toys to a hospital at Christmas. Yeah. 
wanted Fallon's The Chaotix. But then, yep. since then, in Loose Stringer stories, it's been mentioned that they're wanted by the police. <laughs> so it feels like, do you know, I mean, again, I can't swear to it, but what it feels like is that Ketching forgot that the Chaotix mm. were fugitives from the police, yeah. wrote this scene of the police arriving, and either belatedly realized, or maybe Deb Tate pointed it out to him, yeah, yeah, yeah. that aren't they wanted by the police? So they had to slip this in. What have they done to not be wanted by the police anymore? They went round the corner for a while and their wanted level dropped down. You know, they, <laughs> you know, they spray painted their car or whatever and now the police aren't interested. <laughs> anyway, so that's not a thing anymore, so don't worry about it. <laughs> There's a lot of chaotics are this and chaotics is work is that. Interesting dropping of the crew suffix. This issue. Yeah, yeah. Starting, well, I mean, they were always, they were introduced from the start as chaotics. Guardians of the Special Zone when they burst out of the Omni Viewer in their debut <laughs> image. So oh, yeah. remember that. Ooh. They're still they they are Chaotics. That is the name of the group, you know. But they are. It's like Chaotics is the organization. <laughs> you know, it's got the TM at the end of it. You know, there's the R Pat LLC, and they are in the employ of the company. Yeah. Therefore, they, they are, are the Chaotics, Chaotics crew. crew. Yeah, <laughs> Chaotics being a company that. Um... I wonder what it says on their yellow pagings listing that they do, you know? What are they? Adventurers. Mm. That's the sort of, yeah, like that's a, you know, the handbook entry under every superhero, you know. Superhero is not a profession, but <laughs> adventurer is. Apparently that's a profession. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, then then Dr. Plague shows up and he's uh, threatening to, uh, sm- he's holding a vial, proper old mm. test tube with a cork in it. And he says he'll smash it if anybody comes even one step closer. Contains a virus powerful enough to wipe out all life in the city. Vector says, don't be a fool! You'll kill yourself! And I'm like, uh, he's wearing a sealed Mr. Freeze germ suit here. It clearly wouldn't affect him. But then he, he says, I don't care! I'll take one step, I'll swear I'll do it! And I'm like, no, okay. okay. That, that feels like maybe it's a moment where Elson's character design is butting up against what the script maybe thought of for the guy, you know? Well, he says it's really strong. So I guess that means it's even too strong for hazmat suits. I guess so. It's so strong it can infect glass. Exactly. Yeah. But then, uh, and then, and then isn't this, isn't this whole next bit brilliant? Yes. It is, isn't it yeah. the best thing yes. that's been in this comic for, <laughs> since, since the time he grabbed Mr. Shifter's bullet out of the air, basically, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah. Where he takes one single step Towards. Well, because that's what he says. He says, yeah, I... don't take one step. Yeah. And Sonic takes one step, huh? I mean, like this. And he takes one step, and that's enough for Dr. Plague to hook the virus. I'll go down in history as the one who destroyed New Tech City. But then Sonic just goes, pew, and snatches the vial out of the sky, and no problem at all. Eh, I wouldn't count on a place in the history books if I were you, unless it's for being the biggest nutter in the special zone. <laughs> and the competition is high. <laughs> But he's got a whole tray of them. I'm not beaten yet. He's got a... What would you call this kind of box that's got padding and holes in the padding? No, it's one of, them, one of them boxes that holds test tubes, you know? It holds test tubes. It's got it's a got holes in it specifically that you slot the tubes into, yeah. Yeah, and he just chucks it. Let's see you catch all of these! And we know he can, sure. but it's cool to see him do it. Hell yeah! In a one, an 11-panel grid page, Sonic yes. snatches the box out of the air and then jumps every panel... Jumping all around the street, catching them, catches seven of the dropped vials, takes a pose, and it says, feel free to applaud. Sonic, you missed one! 
oh, you mean this one? And he just holds his hand out. He's literally stopped right where the last one was going to fall. Holds the box out. Vile falls neatly into the hole. <laughs> and and uh. Victor goes, ah, oh, you're such a show-off. And I'm like, hell yeah, he is. Oh, where's he this is. Sonic been for? I feel like I've all I've seen is Sonic moaning about living in the special zone for the yeah, last little while. kicking his heels with his hands in his back pocket. I always thought this was so cool how he catches them in the little holes. Do you know what? Sam Raimi totally nicked this for the Spider-Man lunch tray scene. <laughs> but he didn't put that all back where it went. He caught it yeah. in weird, Messily, yeah, tiles. Exactly. Rubbish. Sonic did it better than Spider-Man. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Reading this page, I'm like, ooh, not watched Spider-Man in a while. <laughs> Might be time. Pop that on. I just really, really enjoyed that. I was like, yeah, I, I feel wicked. like I've been missing that for a yeah. while. A bit of pure sonic showboating yeah you know with some real stakes where the villain isn't being written off as a joke non-threat no sonic really has to do this yeah, over but right. he will actually die but he'll do it with style yes it's great i guess what this is is the moment where someone at stc goes oh i know what we can do with the special zone okay i've got it okay i've got it because right now up till now they've been you know, they've been percolating this idea. Like, what if he's in a really weird place? But there hasn't really been a sense of, narratively, what can we do with him there? Why is he there? You know, because in the story, he shouldn't be there. And up till now, it's felt like he shouldn't be there. But this this is like, yeah, he can actually help in these situations. There are baddies here he can fight without making a whole thing out of it, you know? He only treats Dr. Plague as, as much of a joke as he treats any villain back on Mobius either, mm. you know? It's odd, isn't it? It, it's odd that it's taken this long for them to go like, oh, well, yeah, Flash has supervillain characters in it. He fights them. We can have Sonic do that stuff. I mean, Mr. Shifter was was this. Mm -hmm. He was a guy that Sonic used his super speed to get the better oh, of he his did. That's abilities. Right. I remember he stretched him out all round and everything. And he snatched his bullet out of the air, which might still rank as the coolest thing Sonic's ever done. Yeah, the one thing about that was simply that Mr. Shifter was the story. Mm. Where here, Dr. Plague is just a bit of... It's the opening action scene of a superhero story before the actual yeah. plot starts, you know? Mm, yeah. And speaking of style, oh, what about Chaotix's flying bumper car? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, I, I wrote it down as the Chaotix crew Radmobile <laughs> <laughs> in my notes. Look at it! Yeah. Imagine a hover car, listeners, painted like the 80s and with all pipes and stuff coming out of it and, and a sort of a, like a steampunk computer coming out of the back. Oh, with a little porker even in the first. Yeah. Oh, look at the little porker yeah, in the first yeah, establishing yeah, panel. Yeah. Little tiny dot eyes, tiny weenie pig face man. And it's got the chaotic crew blazoned up the side, you know. <laughs> with like cool arrows underneath it and everything. <laughs> it's Oh, you know what it is? It's their egomatic. It's like a rad egomatic. Yeah, I, I would, it looks more, it's a, to me it's the Fantasticar. Oh, of course it is to you. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> it's one step away from the old flying bathtub design of the original Fantastic Car. It does not look like all four of them would fit in it, though. Hmm. I see what you mean by that. Uh, well, only three of them need to, really, because Charmy can just he flick around. He gets tired. I imagine it's <laughs> got to go longer distances than Charmy. You've just made that up. We don't know Charmy gets tired. <laughs> There's no cooldown meter on the Chaotix video game, so... There you go. <laughs> we must accept the games as canon when reading STC, <laughs> therefore we can only conclude Charmy B as an immortal supergiant with uh, the stamina of the gods. 
who never Super needs giant. to rest, and that's why he's always so on all the time. <laughs> What do we mean by super giant in this context? Spiritually. Because <laughs> he's very little. Yeah, but he's big on the inside. Ah, uh, right, yeah. He's so full of <laughs> I'm big on the inside. I don't like going out. <laughs> but it's Porker. Porker's contacting them. That, this flying bumper car, and I say bumper car because it's got that bumper base on it. It, it had, actually has, yeah. You're absolutely right. I read it as hovercraft, and that might be what it's meant to be, but yeah, it's yeah. a bumper car. It definitely <laughs> flies, though, right? It go. Yeah. The only reason it exists at all is because they require a communicator for Porker Lewis to bibbidi boop in over. Porker Lewis, what is it, old buddy? Oh, Sonic, it's terrible. We need your help. It's... And, and the signal breaks up. Mm, that's that. That's that. Two panels. Something going on there. This next panel here where Mighty is just standing there with the arms stretched out saying, you know, we'd like to help you get back home, but it's not possible. You're trapped here. And I'm looking at it and I'm going, oh, I'm just like, oh, Elson's art is up peak sonic proportions look at him standing there with all his bits exactly the right shape and size <laughs> to be a little sonic guy look at him there yeah there he is oh it's all so right <laughs> actually there's something a bit weirdly posed about that almost as if yes it is yeah sonic in particular is what's throwing it in. yeah like the mighty is fine but also it kind of looks as if you know maybe he had a rubber figure of him on his desk that he drew which obviously isn't the case he definitely didn't yeah but, yeah but then the sonic is sort of like Cheating out, I believe, is the phrase when you're on stage and you're all looking out at the audience and he's kind of doing a fist. Yes, he's not looking at Mighty as Mighty looks at him. He's looking off yeah. into the distance and doing the doing Elson posed hands for some fist, reason. Yeah. As something, I mean, that was, I think, the point I made back when we noticed and started to talk about Elson posing the first time, which was, I feel like, back around the Knuckles introductory issues yeah. a long time ago. But it's like, some sometimes when characters are just meant to be standing... Hmm. Nelson sometimes doesn't quite know where to put their hands. When it comes to Sonic characters, it'd be weird to see Sonic characters with their hands at their sides. It would be, and it is. Sometimes yeah. when you see it in the games these days, and it's... So the trouble is, they've got, back then even, very big hands. So you yeah. can't really just have... If you had them, if they had their hands by their sides, they'd touch the ground. And that'd be they're, really weird. And these days... now are even bigger these days. That's <laughs> the thing. Their hands are... They're gigantic now. It's like flipping Wibble World Giddy. So they've got... Sorry, that's an Amiga reference. So they've got such big hands that you can't have them not doing something with them. Otherwise, it just starts looking really weird, as somebody should have noticed when they decided to make them that big. And they shouldn't have done. Scale them back a little bit. But whenever it's an action sequence, it's fine. You can flail your arms in whatever direction. But when you just stand in there and he's going, poised like he's about to run off almost. <laughs> and then this, uh, I, I thought maybe when I turned the page, he was going to be reacting to something that was happening, but he's not. No. Because the second sun then appears on the next page. But Maybe he saw the Bruce Brothers chuck a rock at their mom in the distance. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but feel, though, that, speaking of the Bruce Brothers, mm -hmm. it's... It, this would be a little more impactful if there'd been any setup for the idea of the prophecy. Yes, to, to the extent that when they mention that there's this old... So the, the line is, two suns appear in the sky. And Sonic says, I know this dimension's a weird place, but even here that's got to be unusual. And Mighty replies, there's an old legend, Sonic. It's about the end of the world. The story begins with the appearance of two suns. And I read that. Uh, the, the, now you bring that up, it's like, yeah, of course, that's an old Special Zone legend. I was like, is that a real one? I was Googling real old legends, like as if the, Nigel's talking about an old Mayan legend or something. Um, 
I don't know why I didn't think of like, oh, he means in this, in yeah. this world. <laughs> but having gone so long with, you know, stories that are very much about the weirdness of the special yeah. zone and the weird characters you find there, and even one that that was about, you know, visiting the old royals of the special mm. zone, visiting mm. the hive, Definitely. feels like there was room in there somewhere to seed this. Yeah. Um, the other weird thing about this, uh, so what happens, what they see is two suns in the sky and uh, the way that they're, they're really, really drawn. You know, they're really, really obvious. They don't look like the sun and another one. They look like these huge suns with loads of glow coming off them. So it's difficult for me to read it as one of them is the sun and the other one is, as we'll find out in a minute. But like... Well, it's just supposed to look like a sun. You shouldn't be able to tell the difference between them. No, what I mean is that it doesn't look like the sun and another sun, or two suns. It, it looks like two new things to me. It looks like, well, we've, when have we ever seen the sun look like this before? It's like, they're, they're huge. They're bearing down on the planet. So now that's fair. Like maybe if you earlier in the story, if we had an establishing shot with what the just sun looks the sun like. in the sky. Yeah. yeah. That's where you very much have to rely on Sonic's piece of dialogue saying yeah. in no uncertain terms, there are two suns yeah, yeah. to make sure you know that that's what you're looking at. Yes, I, I, I see what you're saying. In isolation, without that speech bubble, if you just presented me with this panel, that's I it, wouldn't yeah. know yeah, that I was necessarily looking at two suns. I would You'd think at, there were two big glowing balls that have appeared. Yeah, maybe hurtling in the atmosphere yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's not necessarily a criticism of the way the art has chosen to render the sun. No. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I take your point, yeah. Yeah. Do we think John Burns made the decision not to shade Sonic in the next panel, or just forgot? I, I don't know. Because he shaded his hands and feet, and then just not, not his body. I mean, he's not really shaded in any of the other panels. All that he's got is highlights. Yeah, well, little yes. white highlights. So it's possibly just forgot to put the white uh, little highlight lines on, yeah. It, I think it stands out. Do you know what I mean? It, it makes quite a difference. Yeah, it's uh, you're used to seeing Sonic with that central line mm. down, yeah, the, down the spikes, you know? Uh, Jeremy dismisses the whole legend anyway as just some dumb old tale nobody really believes, but then a voice from off-panel says it might turn out to be only too true, and we, we flip the page, except we don't because it's on the opposite page. And it says, it's the Omniviewer! He, he brings is. terrible news. He's not looking well. No, he looks really drunk. He looks really squirmy. And of course he does, because he is supposed to, you remember this, listeners? He is supposed to be sealed inside a meteorite with supersonic in him frozen in time the black asteroid an old jam mine wasn't it yes so he's supposed to be frozen in time at the heart of an asteroid yeah so we as kids are looking at this going what no you know what this means kids somebody's free and then we cut to lord sidewinder who we know is looking for supersonic and he's stood on top of his tower, hair whipping around, oh, going... great panel. Great panel. Oh, it's so good. Look at all these snakes! I have found you at last! And so we know... They don't actually say... No, they don't say it clearly, but it's... But we I'm know. sure the ideas you're supposed to... Yeah. Some, sometimes, right, and this is a genuine, like... Yeah. Sometimes, you do wonder if we, as adults, disregarding the fact that we knew it already... Mm-hmm. Get a little ahead of what yeah. you're meant to know when you knowing reading it with our adult brains and being yeah. able to make narrative connections mm -hmm. and, and understand these things. There have been instances in the past where I wonder, yes. was
was the kid audience supposed to have figured out? There was at least one cliffhanger, wasn't there, where we're like, well, we know what it is, and we didn't understand why this wasn't revealed yet. But it is probably mm. because kids. <laughs> yeah. But this one feels like it's expecting even the child audience to make the narrative connections as Lord Sidebinder steps out of his little rooftop office onto the balcony outside, throws his arms wide and looks mm. up at the second sun in the sky and goes, I have found you at last. That, yeah, that whatever's going on up there, it's supersonic has, has caused this second sun to appear. Because remember, the idea was that they were putting the Omniviewer, frozen in time, inside the black asteroid. Yes. And the idea was that even if Supersonic did escape the Omniviewer, the hope was, that was a time when we really were ahead of the strip, where we were worrying in part one, I guess maybe the idea is supposed to be, blah, 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 blah. and then at the end of part two, they literally spelled it out and added this whole note of doom over the top of it. Yeah. That even if Supersonic escaped, Omniviewer would be able to teleport himself out of the asteroid, leaving Supersonic trapped within it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, well... <laughs> <laughs> Don't take a genius. The idea that Supersonic, he's so powerful now that he manifests as a sun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. What? Next issue, waiting for the end of the world. Do you know, and I've had a memory actually that not really fully remembering how it goes. We said on the podcast when Supersonic was trapped in there, that we think he maybe escapes off panel. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. And it turns out, yes, he does, but it's really cool and that's a good thing. Yeah, they made something out of it, yeah. Oh, this one was a straight banger. Thank God. Yeah. I've been so yeah. hungry for it. <laughs> Everything coming to a head again, finally. But that's only the start. Oh, retrospect, right? It's interesting that we both came to the last 10 issues or so with contradictory ideas of what was in them. Mm -hmm. And we've basically both been proved right because yeah. mm -hmm. there have been plenty of the random superhero issues, which I just sort of saw as mad encounters in the colourful special zone. I didn't really notice them. And there's been more supersonic ongoing than expected, which you mm -hmm. probably saw as vanishingly rare because you quite rightly wanted that all the time and nothing else. Well, it's funny, <laughs> really, because what we actually wound up with, setting aside Mr. Shifter which, you know, was part of really setting up the new status quo of Sonic being stuck in the special zone and everything, was a run of stories about the supersonic stuff, the fallout from that, and sealing it off, bringing it up to the Black Asteroid point. Then, a run of stories about stupid superhero stuff. And then, it returns to the supersonic thing at the end. Yeah, Whereas it might have come off a little better if we could have broken that up, interspliced it with... Uh, well, that's exactly, yeah. Looking back over it, I suspect the whole thing happened because... There wasn't, because of the way STC is made, there might not have been a really good way to properly balance the lead up to this story. Given that, different issues might have been written by multiple people, the scheduling a little bit unpredictable usually. So yeah, yeah. they've come up with this premise that both Nigel and Lou and whoever else knew they could play in and enjoy playing in, yeah. in the gaps and just like tread water until now. Treading water. I mean, I think it was I think it was Jolene who said a couple of issues ago. But the, the Bruce brothers and the, I mean, I was fully done by last the last <laughs> issue. But um, there was a great sense towards the end of marking time. Once we got past the holiday issues, uh, which you always excuse a holiday issue. It's, of course, yes, they're they're, they're different. Law says they're different. You know, like how this is the Valentine's one. <laughs> mm. <laughs> That's the holiday you're allowed to ignore. 
It's like I don't yeah, get annoyed because... when they don't do a St. Patrick's Day issue either. <laughs> we don't. We do... the last thing we want is a Sonic the Hedgehog Valentine story. You know? Oh God, God, it would be <laughs> all you'd want. Like the only Sonic the Hedgehog Valentine story that I could conceive of being credibly written at this time in the nineties is an adventure uh the what's the, what's the breezy the sexy mm. robot hedgehog <laughs> from the cartoon where dr robotnik builds a robot to woo sonic but stc sonic no not oh my god did you ever meet a more asexual being yeah, quite and i can imagine i can imagine one where it's like amy winding him up by being all valentine's at him yeah but not anymore i think that's for a previous even at, year. yeah 97 it's harder to imagine yeah i suppose yeah with stc sonic's personality so well established from very early on maybe robotnik builds a sonic robot that is and this is it <laughs> That woos Amy is what I was going to say. Because she's the only character I can imagine being receptive to something like that. Well, Tails could be, you know what? Tails could be tricked pretty well too, but then Archie did that story. Chris, I've just had a little heartbreak. I've just done a little heartbreak on myself. What'd you do? What if Robotnik made a robot Amy to woo Johnny and it worked? Oh, that's good too. That's pretty good too. Yeah. That's uniquely STC, actually. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm more, I I get more down with that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be quite good. Yeah. That'd be, that'd be all right. Yeah. It'd be really sad. (laughs) And they would call it, um, Heartbreak Hair. That would be the title of the story, and uh, and presumably of a Bugs Bunny cartoon. It, it sounds like made. one, right? Sure, that that must have been a Bugs Bunny show at some point. Uh, Bunny Love, we could call it, or yeah. um, uh, <laughs> Heartbreak Kid, or yeah. uh, um, and that'll do. <laughs> Just a So, once again, it's another one. Of we these. are back to. The jellyful world of the shreds. They, this, hmm, it feels like they were just uh, stretching themselves a bit thin and pun is not intended there. Uh, <laughs> it's the only place it's not intended. This is one of those comics where every opportunity to put in a pun is used to the extent that the things that happen depend on whether or not a pun can be said about it. Yeah, it's like every panel is a little joke or pun unto itself, essentially. Yeah. I just feel like a second one of these in as many issues mm. is uh, is too much. There's there's not these characters don't have that much going on for them. There's an old Mayan legend about the appearance of a second Robinson's Golden Shred Amulet. <laughs> <laughs> smells the end of the world. That I think is the pirate STC vibe I detected before. You know where it's like this is only happening because you can word it this way and it's amusing to the writer. <laughs> so this one, instead of a roller coaster like the last one, is a, is the pool, mm-hmm. and it starts with the little shredless. No, which one is the, the little shredded lemon guy, who you will yes. remember is just a, a lemon. A lemon jumping off a diving board into a pool with a rubber ring around him. Uh, by the way, I really appreciate the spelling out here of pooing. The shredded orange guy and the shredless lemon guy are in the pool already. But Shredless Wonder, the shredless orange guy, is not in the pool. He's sitting up on a towel by the side of the pool listening to his radio because he's a cool... And he wears the sunglasses, so he's the cool one. Uh, you know. I've got a problem with the shredless lemon that I tried to articulate last time, and I think, I've, I think I'm on top of it this time. Yeah. Shredhead is a ball of marmalade. Yes. Shredless Wonder is a stretched out thing of shredless marmalade. He's like yes. a, a goo. He's like a, a pool of goo. 
Shredded lemon's just a lemon. Shredless lemon is a lemon with its its innards pulled out. It's he, he's got a, his lemon. His head is a sideways lemon because it mirrors the design of the shredless wonder that we already have. Yeah. But then he's got this goo coming out. It's like it's coming out. It's like a lemon that's gone wrong and something's bad about it. And that wouldn't be a problem if it wasn't for the fact that a normal lemon is also there, that this hasn't happened to yet. He hasn't hatched. It's like when you see... It's like a parasite coming out of something. Oh, come on, Dave. You're really overdoing it. <laughs> it's just a lemon, man. All right, then. It's like a sprout coming out of a seed. That's, let's say. It's that kind of imagery. Something's coming out of this lemon. That is... That is inherently toxic. That's inherently unsafe. Don't that don't if you saw a lemon with something worming out of it, get rid, use a different lemon. Mm. <laughs> and they're at the swimming pool. How come Shredless Wonder isn't in the water? I say, I say, I say, Mr. Boomer, how come Shredless Wonder isn't in the water? Hey, didn't you hey, isn't Shredless Wonder in the water? <laughs> Why he's so cool! He'd turn it to ice. <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> it's that every panel, you know. The lemon guy then starts to fall through his, they call it a life belt, a rubber ring. In yeah. in a mirror, I will note, of the very same discussion we had about rubber rings this past <laughs> summer. When we <laughs> were talking about rubber rings versus armbands. He hasn't got armpits to hook over his rubber ring. <laughs> well, a rubber ring, he fell, and he falls through his rubber ring. What did I tell you? It's dangerous. Did I say on the show yeah. that happened to my brother? It did? You must have done, if we were talking about rubber rings. Well, yeah. Tell me again, and I'll try and remember. It happened to my brother. That's the end <laughs> of the story. I remember. <laughs> And another thing, Mr. Broomer, <laughs> why is Shredless Wonder a so keen on jelly? <laughs> Ew, that one's easy. He's the smoothie who's groovy. What? What? What's that got to do with what being keen on jelly? The f- and it was What's at that, that point that I got angry. <laughs> at, at the strip. Like, I, I could have suffered the one panel bad puns and jokes. That's nothing. That's yeah. not anything. No, that is not to do with What does with that it. have to do with why he's so keen on what it the doesn't. Nothing. The next one's a little bit abstract. What's he doing now? Actually, I'm doing a spot of fishing, because he's what he's doing is he's reaching over, he's stretching over to, to help the lemon. He's obviously gonna pull it to out. To pull the lemon out the water, yeah. With his big long stretchy arm. And the lemon says I think he's going away for a stretch. Yes. And he's not... Go- the, that, the joke there is it's like what you say when someone goes to prison. But he's it only stretching. It's the only bit. He's not going away anywhere. He's... Stre- that's this. That's what this comic is. It's that. It's just... Uh, you've heard... That sort of sounds like something you've ever heard of, yeah. you know? Yeah. So he pulls him out. Uh, pulls the lemon out. He's safe. Fan jelly-tastic. I was out of my depth before. Mm. Depth like yeah. a water's depth. Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he holds him right up into the air in his big springy arm at, at <laughs> escape velocity, it looks like. <laughs> but now I'm going up in the world! Hey! Yeah. Now then, this is a lot of piss-taking, but I will say, I like the cut of this artist's jib. He's drawn a dense page of comic, there's a lot of bang for your buck, there's a lot to jam into your eyes, none of the panels are squares, they all glop together in jelly ways. Like jelly? Yeah. It's all... I find it very attractive to look at. It's weird, though. 
Yeah, very weird. And then it ends with a little caption that says, and now it's the advert. Mm. Where they actually... Where they explain why they're here. By the way, this is for marmalade. What's the point of this? It's buy some marmalade, kids. All right, there. (laughs) Robertson's Golden Shredless and Silver Shredless. You don't have to go jelly far for a jar. It's the most on toast. And it's cred on bread. Very down with the street lingo there of them shoot me god (laughs) it just becomes a rapid fire stream of nonsense and oh and then literally again we said it last time but all you've got to do is write to them no stamp required and they will send you their free remainder stock of shredhead and shredless wonder toys please take our shredhead and shredless wonder toys we do not want them they are a burden on us i think we ended up with a shredless wonder but as we ended up with a shredless wonder and not also a shredhead that implies that we did the original thing they must have actually sent the labels in yeah yeah and chosen one a super bouncy ball with the appearance of marmalade <laughs> I could do that with a super bouncy ball and some marmalade. (laughs) No extended... you can do that while carelessly using a super bouncy ball at breakfast time. (laughs) I'm not having a big, long, extended discussion about toast, butter and marmalade this time. Let's move on to... (laughs) Knuckles! Knuckles! Victims, part one. Written by Nigel Kitching, art by Nigel Dobbin, letters by Elita Fell. At long last, Knuckles returns to the floating island, but finds the Mushroom Hill Zone ransacked and the Emerald Hill folk nowhere to be found. He eventually locates Porker Lewis, who explains that he is the only one who's managed to avoid being captured by raiders that came in the night. Knuckles joins Porker as he contacts Sonic in the Special Zone, but Before Porker can give Sonic details, his communicator is destroyed by the villains in question. Dr. Robotnik, a cybernetically reconstructed Dr. Zachary, and an army of Zachary's robots. Oh, heck. Oh, Oh, you flipsy. Oh, mercy. If you thought the Sonic strip was going to be the height of the excitement. (laughs) No. I mean... With this strip, like, suddenly the sense of building towards a climax that now pervades this <laughs> issue of Sonic the Comic is beyond denial. Omniviewers out, Supersonic's out, we're building towards the end of the Lord Sidewinder thing. Knuckles returns to the floating island for, I checked, Ghost Ship, <laughs> in which he left the island, was last March. Wow! One month shy of a full year of Knuckles being off the floating island. Wow! Oh, that's so cool. That really makes it into a proper little trek he's been on. Little adventure quest. Wow. Culminating in the return of Dr. Zachary from, well, over a year ago, because that's right before that, that that happened. We had the Kohenyu and the... And he's a cyborg now. And he's a cyborg. (laughs) Come on, he fell off the island. It's obvious what's happened, but okay. And in the excitement of that, and, you know, he's teamed up with Robotnik, and obviously Robotnik must have helped to mass produce. You can either, well, we'll we'll see if the details are shared, but one would assume the idea is that Robotnik has mass produced the robots for him. Or there may have been more out there and they went and found them, Mm -hmm. but I'm going to assume for now Robotnik has mass produced the robots. And we have the little interstrip continuity of Porker calling yes. Sonic. It's the same call as in the Sonic strip. You get to see it happen from this other perspective. That's so cool. So you know something big is going on that the strips yeah. are overlapping like yeah. that. 
it's it's really possible in the excitement of this moment and this climax where Zachary and Robotnik and the robots come in and blow up the communicator and you find out why the transmission why? was cut off, yeah. that you have to realize Robotnik knows where the Emerald Hill folk are. Oh, From nearly... I hadn't even thought of that. A year and a half ago now, the end of the Sonic 3 and Knuckles adaptation back in 95. I hadn't even thought of that. <laughs> so that whole story is climaxing right now as yeah. well. exactly so you didn't even think of it it's really possible to not have it register in the excitement of the other things going on Mm, because presumably they'll just tell us exactly next issue exactly what happened but i'm guessing oh yeah robotnik will spell it out he'll gloat it'll be that dr zachary fell to earth went right i need to be cyborg guys to survive this i know a man who'd be interested in the information i've gleaned from because he presumably found out where the Emerald Hill folk were. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember him doing that. Do we know he did? I don't that? remember him going there, but I'm sure he. I'm sure he knew. He was on the island. He found out. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Now, reading this as an adult, I can see some of the uh, artifacts of connecting the stories up like this because it's you know it's not it's not easy to do. It's not always smooth sailing. In in this case, it's that Knuckles spends quite a long time in a scene that is mostly just like explaining the more ordinarily paced scene in the Sonic strip. Mm. You know, the behind the scenes of this call. And it might be because, you know, they have to rerun what happened in that scene plus stuff around it that explains it, meaning it takes up quite a lot of the strip. Yeah. But that pacing difference suits very well a Knuckles strip versus a Sonic strip. Knuckles... Oh, yeah. Knuckles strips have always felt they've got a little more... Because it's only one guy. He's not surrounded by adoring fans or right. necessarily armies of baddies to fight. Knuckles right. is used to being alone and carrying scenes That's on it. his own he's a, in, that, in he's, an isolated way. He's a quieter man. He's a gentler man. And so hmm. it's, Knuckles should be more gradual and thoughtful. Isn't that a little weird to think of Knuckles? Knuckles? As being gentle. Big fisty strongman Knuckles yeah. as being the gentler guy yeah. but in in a not in a literal way but in a in a way yeah gentler it's shaken out that that's how and that that and we have to admit that's an our Knuckles thing because oh god yes yeah because when we first saw him he was Knuckles from Sonic 3 he was punch first giggle later and he'll still punch first in situations oh he'll punch you now, you know if, if, punch if, if he's if he's pretty sure about the guy he's punching you know, if he if he knows that's the bad yeah. guy, wallop, no question. I think of him as a philosopher brawler. Yeah, he's <laughs> he yeah, will, I can get that. He's thoughtful, and then w- the answer usually turns out to be, hmm, oh, punching again. Yes, <laughs> funny that. Hmm. Whereas Sonic should be more breakneck uh, in pace in the strip. So it's like, yeah, it's great. It's great. This is great. This really good. I wonder if these documents are going to come into play because they they make a point yeah. of flagging up the documents. Yeah. You know, they don't they don't just quietly go unmentioned or anything. There's a whole panel of Knuckles flying up to the island on his pterodactyl. By the way, yes, We've got that. he comes flying in on blades. Panel one. So that question is now answered. Makes you wonder why he decided to stop off in the Metropolis Zone last issue at all. Never mind. Well, Blades was tired. Yes. Needed a rest. Needed a little sit down. So obviously you want to sit down in the heart of Robotnik's Empire for a rest. <laughs> yeah, for a rest, yeah. But yeah, flies up there, chest strapped to the saddle, and knuckle. there's a panel of Knuckles turning around and patting it and saying, with this chest of ancient documents, I stand a good chance of being able to repair the Emerald Chamber. And I'm, I really, yeah. really hope that after a year... Yeah. These documents pay off in some way. I have no memory of it. No, me so. neither. My, my, I have the nagging sense that this, everything that's about to happen, that keeps starting off now, 
distracts from the chest enough that perhaps we never return to it. God, that would be a terrible shame. Yeah, because I'm so excited about this chest. The things that could be in it, the stuff... the, the st- Imagine the, what the chests could do. All the ancient machinery and controls that Knuckles doesn't know how to use. Can't you just imagine him being like, oh, oh... And it's like, it just unfolds the whole island into something or something, you know? Into a big robot. Big robot! (laughs) Big robot echidna. Yeah. Art's lovely, of course. Oh, such lovely art. Nowhere better, I would say, than... First off, the establishing shot of the island. Mm, mm. It's so... Nigel Dobbin makes it look heavy, even though it's flying and just floating there in the sky. I don't know how he does it, but he does. Something about the heft of it, the shape of it... He manages it. And it's so welcome. It's such a welcome return to this place. We love a floating island, don't we? We do. The floating island. It's an island that floats. It's lovely to see, for Knuckles' sake, to see him be able to go home to it. And yes, he does, as speculated earlier on this show, use his pterodactyl to get home. Of course he does. We didn't know, but it's nice to see that he's got that. And that it, and it, it's, it's long continuity. We like a bit of... This this guy's been on a long journey, and he's amassed the things that he needs. It's nice. One of the greatest strengths that we were pleased to discover unfolding in front of us yeah. for literally multiple years now at this point uh-huh. is the revelation that all the knuckle strips have been interconnected yes. in some way. That one has fed into the next. Yeah. That they haven't just been about the character resting on his laurels. That they have, in some capacity, been about keeping the mystery of the character's backstory and the mystery of the floating island, the echidnas, if not at the forefront, hanging over everything, generally by throwing obstructions in Knuckles' way as he tries to... Obstructles. ...struggle with them. Now, the last run, the World Tour series of stories, not about that, just Knuckles having adventures, but with the big connecting through line that he's going back home. Mm. You know, and even that is such a small little through line, but even that continues one of these great strengths about these knuckle strips. The, the sense that they're all part of something bigger. And then the other best bit of the art is Dr. Zachary, look at him. Oh my god, he's a cyborg. He's got a he's got an arm off and in its place he's got a gun arm. And we have established that is the coolest thing to be yes. and do and have. If you are a robot, you should have one arm be a gun. That is what you should have. He's almost fully sliced down the middle, isn't he? He's got mm. half his head he landed on his side. Yeah, he really did. <laughs> and oh, what, oh, a detail I really love is that the side of his face that is cyborged, and it's presumably just to make it look a bit like the Terminator, but the side of his head that is cyborged is almost empty and like yeah. you, there, there's just darkness in there and you can see quite deep into it. So he's got this one giant eyeball rattling around, just, just there in his head. And of course... It's not, it's not bigger than the other eye. It just hasn't got the eyebrow going yeah. down over it as much. It just, yeah, it just doesn't have a socket around it. Yeah, so, so it I looks... presume it's a robot eye, too. Of course it's, it's a robot eye. As... Well, it's yeah. red. That's how you can tell. That's, how, that's the only way you can tell, is the yeah. fact that it's got the red iris and his normal eye doesn't. Otherwise, it could just be his big, free-hanging yeah. free eyeball. And also the neat trick that his real eye has a sonic pupil, as in a, a, a mm. an oval one, whereas this has a perfectly round one so you can tell it's artificial. Like a camera lens. Yes, yes, exactly, and then he's got this one plate that kind of, above that that kind of goes around the back of his head 
again, quite like higher than his head. It's quite far yeah, up, yeah. so it leaves this big cavernous space under there. Oh yeah, it's it's not just. Don't just imagine like a metal Sonic. Right? I know. Don't imagine a robot. Half of him isn't coloured silver. Yeah. This is Dr. Zachary has had his head wounds spot welded with little patches of metal. Yeah. It's grim. And most of his head's still not there, and you can see pipes and gears inside it. It's amazing. It's this so This is cool. not an elegant cyborg. This is yeah. a, a grotesque, transhuman it's, sort of Dr. Zachary. It's like what happened to Dr. Zachary is that one memorably best bit of special effects in Breaking Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. Took me a second to realize what you're referring to there, but I uh... yeah, that's happened to him, and he's got, and he's come in with this. Oh, it's, and he's got robot knuckles dreads for some reason. Don't know what they do, but he's got them. Yes, the metal plates are taking that form. Yes, that's so cool. I wonder if it'll be downplayed at all. The gro- what what seems like the sheer grotesqueness of the yeah. injury here will be downplayed at all in in the next. Uh, I, I'm sure. Yeah. Look at it. I bet his head won't look quite so concave anymore. But still, for mm. this one shot, oh, it really looks like you could reach in there, though, doesn't it? Yeah, and, and to, to make adjustments to fiddle with his <laughs> yeah, yeah. pipes. Oh, it's so cool. And so this last panel being so cool because it's got a cyborg Dogzak, it's got Robotnik there, it's got three of the Guardian robots. Caused me to miss that we also have the bombshell of Porker, apparently unconscious on the ground, like, there. Look at him. Look at him flop there, because the explosion of them coming in has dropped him. I'm sure he'll be fine in the next panel. He'll be grand, yeah. Yeah, but right now, he's got his head on the ground with, like, whatever that is, like, a little bit of, like, his machinery underneath it, having something of the look of cracks in the ground. It's not cracks in the ground, but it has that look. It feels dramatic to me he's got his eyes closed he's got his arm flat on the floor his hand there it's he looks unconscious to me porker is hurt oh what a cool panel i mean and it might just be because we need porker out of the way so knuckles can go ham on these dudes next issue (laughs) ah go ham (laughs) but we'll see we meet again my old enemy says dr robotnik and i'm sitting here thinking now when did they last meet um, and it wasn't. I mean, Sonic and Knuckles. The the climax of Sonic and Knuckles was they didn't even really meet in it, did they? You know, Knuckles didn't get up there on the Death Egg and fight. That was only Sonic. And have they met since then? Like Robotnik doesn't go out and do stuff on his own most of the time. So it must be shortly after Knuckles broke him out of the Freedom Team's cell. Uh, no, it would be the Ice Cap story, wouldn't it? Uh, oh. Set in between uh, Sonic 3 and Sonic and Knuckles. Oh, would it? What happened in that? Because that he and Sonic and Knuckles broke into his ice egg. <laughs> his ice egg. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So it is an old enemy. He really hasn't seen him in a while. If there, I mean, there, there may well have been some instance that we're not remembering since then. I'm sure someone will tell us. But uh, off the top of my head, it's the last time I can think of of the uh, two of them being in the same place so that's another thing the very idea but again it's something that gets a little lost in the coolness of the whole moment of zachary and knuckles facing off against each other is the sheer significance of robotnik here on the floating island again yes what it means he knows and what 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 a payoff it is to ideas that have existed in this comic for a long time now and it becomes apparent because and we've talked about this you know around running wild time and before that We've said many times how the Brotherhood of Metallics tied off a lot of the story arcs, themes, concepts, 
that had been in motion since STC was, you know, brought to life, re- soft rebooted by Kitching and Elson with the future setting and the Freedom Fighters and everything. And as we plow towards issue 100, everything else that Kitching and Elson introduced into that world, supersonic and Robotnik being ruler of the planet, those are the last two big overarching themes and the people of Mobius and the Emerald Hill folk being in hiding from Robotnik. We realize now as we read this here and now that those are colliding now mm-hmm. to be the grand finale of the first hundred issues. Next issue, the terrible fate of the Emerald Hill folk. That's a bit... <laughs> whoa, 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 what's happened to them, eh? Kidnapped away in the night, as Porker tells Knuckles earlier in the story. Pin-up. Oh, it's a good pin-up! Oh, look It's at a it. good pin-up! It's a very good pin-up. So this is a pin-up of the Decap Attack characters, as drawn by new Decap artist Mick McMahon. We'll be coming to him in just a second. Yes, we shall, but... Uh, He's done a very good pinup here. Oh, it's great. They look fantastic. I'm not sure why there are two Chucks, but they do look fantastic. Oh, yeah! Why are there two Chucks? And Because it isn't like a Badnik pinup. These aren't... Pa- no, oh, no, wait! Is a- wait! They are pasted together. Look at the prof's feet going in front of characters in the foreground. Yes, going over Igor. Yeah. Well, I mean, that doesn't necessarily have to mean they're pasted together. Well, no, it, it could it's, be drawn it, like that, but it's a collage. It's a, it has a collage appearance, but it's simply odd that he chose to make part of that collage be a Chuck and then another shot, a separate shot of Chuck's head. Well, for all we know, there might be more duplicate characters on the full picture, and this is just sliced out the middle, because, of course, it's one of these where it's the double-page spread, but then you turn it sideways, so it's a tall, mm. thin picture, and we've seen them be cropped out. No, I would assume it's been drawn to be that. Well, maybe. Maybe, uh, maybe it's his audition piece. What we know is that Nigel is responsible for getting Mick McMahon in to draw this. He loved this guy's work, and he was very excited to get him to draw his characters. And, like, I can absolutely see why, because... Oh, God, yes. I would have been very sceptical about the idea of anyone other than Nigel Kitching drawing this strip. Very much so, yes. But he's found the guy. So shall we just go right in? Shall we just go right in? Decap Attack. Dead! Part 1. Written by Nigel Kitching and Richard Rayner, art by Mick McMahon, and letters by Ellie DeVille. Chuck and Head are feeling a little unwell, so Professor Stein examines them and concludes they're actually dead. In short order, demons arrive to haul the pair off to the underworld, and they drag Stein and Igor along too. Shoved on a train to hell, they demand to speak to someone in charge, and are horrified when the top man turns out to be their old enemy, Max D. Cap. Even decap attack, right? Yeah. Bringing it all full circle for the yeah. run-up to issue 100. No, right right there, back yeah. to the original decap attack strip. Bringing back the villain, Max Decap. Yeah. Continuity rich issue, this. <laughs> I was sceptical about the premise here because we know Chuck is dead. That is the yeah. whole point of him. Well, he's, I mean, he's undead. Yeah, that's dead. But is it? Yeah. He was given life! With lightning and everything. If you're a death inspector, (laughs) I feel like you're identifying this guy as dead. Do you know what I mean? And then that would be what the problem is. But anyway. That's a a big philosophical question you're posing there, Dave. (laughs) Well, I was immediately brought on board when the Netherworld operatives show up and they can't decide who's dead out of a reanimated corpse 
a man who is green and literally just a skull. <laughs> and what they go for is the one living man because he's quite pale. <laughs> White face with the green hair. If that isn't lifeless, I don't know what is. Uh, not me, your ninny. He's the one who's dead. Uh, we better take them all. The netherworld door is brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, just an, a lift that just poofs out of the ground. It pounds out of the ground, sending chips and shards everywhere. It's got a big, it's got a trident drawn on the doors. It is the netherworld. They have sent somebody for you. Absolutely brilliant. It's, it's such. I mean, what is the measure of how Chuck is alive? Is it the fact that he can move and walk and talk? Has Chuck never had like a pulse or blood flow or anything this whole time? Yes, you mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm asking the world, you know. I have good news and bad news. The good news is you don't have to flu. The bad <laughs> news is that according to my apparatus, you appear to be dead. <laughs> <laughs> and then Chuck and Ed start freaking out. Oh, I'm dead. What am I going to do? <laughs> Other corpses lie down and keep quiet, but you used to show off. <laughs> Yes, I love the drawing of Head also freaking out. He's quick to establish, not me, I've never felt better. Well, he says Chuck and, the opening caption says Chuck and Head are both feeling unwell. Yes. So presumably they're both meant to be dead, but then Stein says he is the one who is dead. So I guess I'm not, it's not really clear if Head's really involved here. <laughs> oh, so you, so your read on this is that these guys are right. They have died again, and that's what the problem well, I, is. No, I, I don't think they've died again. I think they've always been... They are dead, yeah, yeah. They must not... I mean, even though we've seen blood, big purple blood, splurt out of Chuck's thick, tumescent neck when it was bitten by a vampire. Well, that's just the... The reason it's purple is that's just the stuff that the prof pumped into pumped him in there, yeah. instead of blood. Yeah, that's part of what keeps him alive. Anyway, look, this we're we're thinking too much about this. Anyway, <laughs> they go to hell, and these guys definitely are caricatures of people. Mick McMahon knows. <laughs> yeah, they've got to be, haven't they? Who's this guy at the front? Like, it's gotta be, hasn't it? It's they're... definitely a caricature of somebody. Whether it's just somebody McMahon knows. I mean, it might be what Mick McMahon looks like. Maybe. And as they step out onto this train platform, the announcement. Would all passengers change here for the Netherworld, Hell, and Milton Keynes? Yeah, <laughs> Milton Keynes. It's, it's like Bogner Regis and other funny British places that it's funny to say the names of his bad. Literally, literally don't know anything about Milton Keynes or what anyone Not thinks bad. about it. But it's, it's that old joke, isn't it? Say thing, say thing is bad. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really need to go to the loo. Fat chance, mate. This is hell. They're all out of order. <laughs> Amazing hell train comes blazing oh, it's in. Such a good hell train. Look, Look at Mick on a track of bones. Look at the track. It's made out of skulls. The track and bones. is made out of skulls and bones. The train has got like it's every way you could draw a train to make it look like it's got an angry face. The two windows on the front have a because it's a hell train, right? It's got an, an, a sort of a design of a Satan trident, which looks like angry eyebrows above the two yep. windows, which also have two dots in to be pupils, but also so does everything. Um, he's got two pipes. He, it, has got oh, two pipes hey, yeah. that look like ears with steam blasting out of them. And it's just got, not, this isn't even instead or anything, a great big mouth with fire coming out of it. Yeah, on the front of it. oh, it looks great. It's a, Mick McMahon is, right. So look, 
tricky to avoid the fact that whenever we have mentioned this and the fact that yes. this is happening to anyone familiar with the series, the name Mick McMahon can bring up groans among certain crowds because yes. either his style, he's later he's going to draw Sonic, and either his mm-hmm. style just quite a lot of Sonic. Yeah. Let's not be clear, but he's going to become quite a regular Sonic artist in yeah. STC towards the end of its life. And either his style just didn't fit Sonic the way it fits Decap, and that's stuck in STC readers' minds. Or, if the tone of some of the comments I've had when I've tried to express that I love his art here, or anything to go by, I hear, you know, it's it's like, oh, you sweet summer child style comments. It's like, oh, tell me that again with a straight face later. Just wait till you see. Yeah. yeah. So I can't tell if I'm just butting up against standard fandom dickishness. Like, you know, that that we all have that gene. No, I loathe uh-huh. his work on Sonic. Oh. And it's going to be rough times when we get to it. Right. Don't forget, don't forget, like, this is all still in the hand-coloured phase. Where oh. all his very precise shadows and everything are painted in. Uh, by the time he's drawn Sonic, it's all flat digital right. colors, and these these shadows and highlights all have a hard black line separating from them from the regular colors. Oh. It looks like ass. So this was this was what I was wondering: is that like okay, if there if the quality really does take a dive, then I'm prepared to put it down to something like unusually quick deadlines or even external issues because this is fantastic. It also, it is possible to just not be suited to drawing sonic which i think is also a big part of it i guess yes true but but this is flipping brilliant yeah every line of this and nigel kitching was right to be thrilled to have an artist of mick mcmahon's caliber a big 2000 ad star by the way we should say that's why nigel kitching was so excited this this guy's a big noise it's ridiculous he was wasting his time drawing sonic the hedgehog comic (laughs) strips frankly i mean i guess that was what was going at the time but like, yes. because yes, to look at this, I can't imagine right now, and I know, and, it, and I was one of the grumpy teenagers as well. I can't imagine a scenario where this artist becomes one I dislike. This is incredible work. Exactly. Exactly. This looks amazing. This is, and this is not intended to be a knock on Nigel Kitching because mm-hmm. I reckon he would be the first person to agree with it. He's probably said it himself. This is the best decap attack has ever looked. It's amazing. I don't, I don't know if I can go that far because it's so Nigel's thing, but... I mean, it is so uniquely tied to Nigel Kitching, but Nigel Kitching is very self-deprecating when it comes to his own artwork as well. I've seen that from him. But uh, but we love him. We love everything that he does art-wise. But, I mean, my God! Yeah, Fantastic! And, and what's, what's really interesting is that what is so good about Mick McMahon's art here is what is good about Nigel Kitching's. It's shapes, it's the way... There's Nothing looks very 3D here. It's drawings, it's 2D, but it's so crammed together with such a mastery of the shapes being made. It's the, the reasons I like this and the reasons I appreciate this are the reasons I like and appreciate Nigel Kitching. And again, he will be the guy to tell you that's because he's a Mick McMahon fan. Sure. And he's heavily influenced by him. You know, it's interesting, actually, that you single out the sort of the two-dimensional nature of the art, mm. because that, I feel, is really the aspect that becomes yes. amplified in his sonic work um, uh, whenever the colouring shifts. Yes. But the reason I say it's interesting is that if there's one moment in this where I had to look at it twice to go, oh, it's a joke at the end of page four which is a joke between other characters on the passenger train to hell as the decappers are led off in silhouette in the background. As one guy says to another passenger, and then what happened? (laughs) And the other passenger says, oh, then I said, what steamroller? (laughs) 
and you have to kind of look twice to see that the guy is pancake he's flat. He's meant to be flat, yeah. Yeah, because he, you can see that he's been drawn flat, and then there's a, a, a fine three-dimensional, what is meant to be mm, yeah. a three-dimensional centimeter or two edge, yeah. drop shadow behind him to indicate his flatness. But it doesn't immediately jump out because McMahon draws everything with that lighter colored edge running around it. And it's only the fact that it's distinguished by a thin black line instead of a simple painted boundary that makes it any different to the way any of the other art looks. And that's such a, it's, and it's one gag that maybe doesn't want 100% line, but you look twice and you get it and it's fine. It doesn't matter here. But I just think it's interesting that you highlighted the two-dimensionality of the art yeah. and one moment here where that did not 100% work in the art's favour and in, in favour of a joke. Yeah. When it will become such uh, an overriding aspect of what I think of as his sonic art later in the series. Mm. Um, that's Hitler, right? There, um, in the middle of the page. I mean, I thought it was Hitler, but I mean, why are they only getting around to processing him now? It's been 50 years. <laughs> Nobody else looks like anybody, though. No. Well, I mean, but, but then you look at that guy up front, yeah. and, and it's like, well, that guy looks like somebody. It's like, yeah, like but, we're supposed uh, to... But he doesn't yeah. look like a caricature. Yeah. But... I don't know, Maybe then, it's just that Mick draws everyone interestingly, and he doesn't just that, do generic faces. I genuinely think that could be it. Yeah, you know? that they all just might have such interesting shapes yeah. to them. It's like Hitler there, huge nose. Hitler didn't have a huge big nose, so maybe it's not Hitler. But it is a man on the train to hell who looks enough like Hitler that you wouldn't draw a man in hell looking that much like Hitler without it being Hitler. Exactly. I mean, you know that bloke behind him there, long black coat, black top hat, I don't know, is it Jack the is Ripper? Is that Jack the Ripper? Yeah, yeah. Is that bloke facing opposite? Is that meant to be like a clansman? Could be. Um, yes, because otherwise it's just what, like a princess? Just, a, just with, a, with a, I mean, it could be. It's, it's a, it's a conical hat yeah. uh, with some more material coming down over the sides of like the bed. A it's not a full hat, face yeah. hood, but they're on a train to hell, as you say. Well, you can. You would, you wouldn't draw a literal. Might be an evil princess. Clansman into a kids comic, but no. you, you would draw Hitler, apparently, maybe, sort of, slightly. Who knows? I need to find more of his artwork around this time because is he drawing like nigel kitching because that's what he's been hired to do that's the question i've wondered you know but the thing is no, i mean his sonic art mm. is of a piece with this not a hundred percent the same but you can tell it's the same guy but you you type make mcmahon's name into google image searches and you look at the judge dread art and it's like i guess you could see the common dna but yeah it's very different and my well no some of it Looks exactly as I would expect, but then the older stuff looks nothing like. And so I thought, okay, this guy's art style has just evolved over time, right? But what it's just interesting what it's evolved from and into. I don't know if you saw this, but on the Discord, Dan200 pasted an example of older Mick McMahon art, and it is not this at all. It's a, a more normal, you know, almost mm. Goldman Axe style drawing. Yeah, yeah. And it's very old. And, you know, if you really traced it and thought about it, you can be like, oh, I see how that leads into this. But what Dan, this is Dan Ratcliffe, who we've talked to before, what he said is that he heard that he had some health problems, which stopped him drawing oh, really? altogether for many years between his 80s heyday and his 90s work. So oh. so that might explain why he changed his style. But it's not it's not a man limited. This is Oh, a, God, no, no, no. This is every line of this. Do you know what considered. this is like? Do you know what this is like? It's like when people show you what Picasso used to paint like. <laughs> to, to point out that he this wasn't a guy who could only draw like that. He decided to. 
Same with Mick McMahon. He's gone, do you know what? I'm going to go a bit abstract and I'm going to yeah. be a master of that. It's amazing. This is fantastic. This is incredible artwork. I can't believe it. And it just feels so right there. Yeah. That what feels like such a special event artistically for Decap Attack. Mm. For Decap Attack to look different mm. for the first time ever. Yeah. That that should be capped off then. Haha, <laughs> cap. Yeah. With Max Decap turning back yes. up after four years or however long it's been. And this guy who is a 2080 guy, a Judge Dredd guy, proves he can draw funny faces. Something <laughs> about Max Decap's face is so funny. It's a proper, like, yep, it's me, and I've been waiting for you. Isn't this fun? Kind of a, there's a cheekiness just to it. Just sitting with his legs crossed. Yep. I, I think he's just, like, in the first class box of the train. It's not really, yeah. he's not driving the train. No. Legs crossed, sitting on the little, well, you three of you don't look well at all. Well, then, you are dead, of course, aren't you? And and above it, a really funny professor face as well. He, <laughs> he draws the prof's head slightly differently to Nigel. He draws it... Well, I, I, I'd have to look at a Nigel one to really compare, but it's more of a pillar. There's there's something longer about it. <laughs> it's hard to know, because like, it's like with, with, with Kitching, it's barely been the same shape twice, you know, because that's one <laughs> yeah. of the great, the great strengths. Yeah. So. Kitchings art, of course, is that every everything is exactly whatever shape it needs to be to be the funniest at any given moment. Yeah. But McMahon does feel like maybe he's uh, formed a slightly more three. Funny to say about McMahon, you know, what we we're just talking about the two, but a slightly more three dimensional idea of what shape these guys are, and he's extrapolating outwards from that. And Rupert is there too. Yes. Max's little accountant slash. Well, he's his accountant, but he's like his PR guy as well, his hype man. On this train, we only sell one-way tickets. Next stop, Eternal Frustration. Go on, Dave. Be a little devil. <laughs> oh, you will. <laughs> this is an unusual advert, isn't it? Bizarre. Yeah. I sort of had to read it twice to even process what I was looking at. Uh -huh. This is your chance to become an official member of the Red Devils fan club. Yeah. The Red Devils being the display team of the British Parachute Regiment yeah. and the Army. Yeah. Uh, so these, these are the guys whose job it is to make the army look cool to kids. Yeah. So fuck them, first and foremost. Yeah, it's propaganda, is what this is. It's yeah, army yeah. propaganda, printed in Sonic the Comic. That's why it's such a weird thing to even have a fan club of, yes. until I really clicked that's what it was. Yeah, a fan club of them. That's yeah. that's honestly really weird. The Little Devils, it's called, this fan club. Because they're the red... And yeah, that, and to be fair, that's quite a good name. If you had to have a yes. fan club for this, that's what to call it. Something called, the, yes. What's going on with this? You get special merchandise discounts, free membership badge and pen, newsletters, posters and competitions. It's Do you get to go up on a parachute at all? I don't want to. I mean, I wouldn't want to, no thanks, you know. Because <laughs> these aren't the guys, I keep, right, when I saw this at first I thought, oh yeah, the guys who are like, they do uh, display formation plane flying, leaving trails. But that's the Red Arrows. This is the Red Devils who, maybe they work with the Red Arrows, maybe they jump out of the plane. Maybe that's the, the point. I, yeah, they're both red. The reason I bring up the Red Arrows is that that's something you ever encountered. Yeah. The Red Devils. Like, I've never heard of this before, literally right now. No, I, I bet, I bet I've seen them do this once on a Knowles House party or... 
Blue Peter or something. I'm sure I'll have seen it happen once. But but why why would you be in a fan club? Like you must only encounter them once per childhood, surely. To to be in a fan club of them. It's such I mean and the reason is it's army recruiting propaganda. They yes! get your name and details on file, so yeah. Christ it is. They they would send you a thing, wouldn't they? They would do do you wanna join when you turn eighteen? Do you wanna join? Do you wanna be one of these? Oh, they probably would funnel you through. I mean, you wouldn't want to be a red devil because they're literally just the guys who go out to county fairs and parachute out for displays. Well, yeah. I mean, the guys who do it are real standby guys, but they're not, you know, the red devils, it's not like the cool nickname for the real parachute guys out doing the shooty bangs. It's just the guys who do it for church fates. No, but that lends it an air of showbiz. You might end up on Noel's house party if you're one of these guys. Or you might end up in a f***ing war. <laughs> or that. Uh, it's it's galling. I mean, I still have a galled reaction anytime yeah. I see one of those ads that they do mm. for the Army, Navy, Air Force recruitment now. It's amazing to me that... Like, you can't sell cigarettes on television anymore. Yeah. It's amazing to me that in this day and age, they're still allowed to have Army recruitment adverts. And they play them in... You see them in... You know, I don't even see them on TV. I see them in the cinema. That's where I see them. In the reel of ads that they play before films in the cinema. Yeah. Galling yeah. to me that that's allowed in this day and age in and a Sonic the, the Hedgehog, Hedgehog comic. comic. You know, you know, you know, you know. In this comic, the, the guy with the army is the body. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huh. That it's really weird. Well, so anyway, you're in, you're you're right in for an annual subscription, I guess. Uh, how much do you have to send them? Fourteen ninety five for the pleasure. Fourteen ninety five. Oh yeah, but once you've paid that, you do get special merchandise discounts on what? What were you gonna buy with the red devils on? Fourteen ninety five for a badge and a pen. Jesus. <laughs> Fourteen ninety five has got to be the single largest amount of money that any yeah. mail in coupon in Sonic the Comic has yeah. yet asked anyone to send in. I think so. I, maybe the maybe the Rosie and Jim t shirts were about that. If you bought three, the individual t shirts were cheaper than yeah. that. If you if you added them all up together, that's. <laughs> can we go back to that, please? Yeah. Rosie and Jim or army propaganda. It's a hard choice, I'll grant you, but yeah, but the same comic has sold adverts to the producers of Rosie and Jim Babies t-shirts and the army recruitment people. What the f***? This this Um, is weird. I'm pretty galled, honestly. Specifically, though, you understand my irritation here is the the children's aspect of this thing. You know, whatever all personal opinions any listeners out there have about the military or the necessity of that in this world. Propaganda aimed at children. Mm. Mm, no, no, that, I'm genuinely quite mad to even see this on here now, 26 years later. Little devils, the little soldiers, the, li- the soldiers of tomorrow. Anyway, moving on from this, that's that's on the top half of the page. It's another top and bottom room, but the bottom half is the ad for next issue, so we will come back to that in a little while. Graphic Zone! With the Q-Zone, a thing of the past now, I, th- I imagine the art, the Graphic Zone, may now be uh, a fixture in this place in the comic mm-hmm. and yeah it's the change of art uh heart art oh, for heart oh, but it's it, it oh. barely works as a joke honestly really. but uh yeah but it's all kissy smoochy sexy stuff yes we're not really into that sort of stuff are we not because we're, yeah, we're boys we're boys <laughs> you know throw mud at each other and kick rocks around yeah uh, fighting with sticks all <laughs> uh, right so the first picture then is from michael azato from tomwell in hertfordshire who has drawn... Well, what is this? Um, so, Amy, the female of the species, is the comment it, from this. That's the, that's the thing, right? Yeah. That's the comment that they've put on this. 
So it's Amy. She looks kind of like kind of like a sorceress. Yeah. She's got a droopy hat and a big high collar and everything. Well, big... more, more accurately, it's a sorceress that looks a little bit like Amy. Well, yes, that's it. Uh, I mean, he has written Amy on it himself. In yes, that, that it. is. So it's definitely Amy. But the fact that STC, and it's a fine drawing, you know, I don't have much to say about the drawing. She's got no. big, long fingers and stuff. It's the fact that STC, the most they could come up with was to put mm. the female mm. of the species. They might as well have just written, that woman is a woman. That woman is a woman! What? <laughs> as the caption of the thing. That's all they've got. Check out this girl. Yeah. <laughs> it's an elaborate uh, witchification of Amy, such that, of course, I'm wondering if I'm missing a reference. The heartbreak design on the jacket with one half on each side of the jacket, that's mm. thats some deep design for a kid as young as this appears to be, right? Well, they seem like they're a slightly older kid mm-hmm. to me. Also, there are hearts floating around. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, that was the end, wasn't it? The reason to print it. Um, assuming they were there in the original art. Who knows? We can't trust anymore. It looks to me like it's done in the same pen and colouring pencils. Yes, it um, does. But that would be the mark of good counterfeiting. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, but... There's no trusting anything they, anymore. They've never been interested in doing good counterfeiting. That's the thing. I've been... As I've been, like, listening back over earlier episodes and listening to us saying, like, oh, it's weird that they used a different pen to draw that part of the drawing. Or oh, uh, it's weird that they wrote 1993 and then have just drawn a five over it instead of rubbing it out or whatever. Ooh, there's some stuff. The deep lower coming into focus. Yeah. Anyway, a lot of tales focus then in the rest of this. Uh, down below that, we've got one from Rachel Smith in Prescott on Merseyside, who's drawn tails and a, and a girlfriend with tails who looks kind of like a Marge Simpson if she were a fox. Yes. She's such a fox. Well, no, I mean, she's wearing a green shirt and a red pearl necklace like Marge, and she's got a blue skirt, so blue instead of, the, yeah. And they've got hearts floating up over them. I mean, it's nice. It's a cute little, pudgy little tail. It's quite like it. Yeah, well, yes, and they're both so pudgy that they look more like, what are the, critter wood or something wood critters. The little fox and the little bear cub had a cartoon series. The Christmas tree train. Oh, uh, uh, I don't remember the name of the show, but Buttons and Rusty well, yes. characters. We're Buttons and Rusty, a frolicking friendly pair of cubs. I'm glad you said cubs. <laughs> What's well, cub love, isn't it? That's the caption on the picture. Yeah. Um, I know them from... Chucklewood Critters. Yes, I know them from a film, The Christmas Tree Train, that was just... I just taped it off the telly and saw it loads of times. I think that was what they're from. And they were contemporarily in a cartoon, so it could be that, or it could be any number of things that, that's being referenced here. Because it's not how it you draw... It could be nothing at all. Well, it's not how you draw tails. If the face goes into the, the tummy fur there. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But it's it's positively sweet and chaste as compared to this yes. this one over on the right hand side. This one's amazing. From Jessica Brown from Bambridge on the Isle of Wight, where I uh, can't believe this tails, little tiny tails yeah. in what looks like a you know a, a jacket with patchwork on it and trousers yeah. and shoes and everything, dressed up. Maybe he's dressed in a nice shirt jacket for a date or something. Maybe, but he he kind of looks like he's dressed as Paddington, doesn't he? A little bit, yeah. Um, but the reason he's wearing clothes is because he has to tug his collar mm. as he nervously sweats at the sight of a beautiful woman. Mm. But the... but And this woman... Is a woman. She's a, she's a, at least a stripper. It, it, it does... It feels referenced. Yes. I mean, I'm not as, I'm I hope not it as is. Quick as, I'm not as quick as you to jump to assuming <laughs> that unusual ways of drawing things in the graphic zone are referenced. Uh-huh. But that looks like, yeah, so he's copied a picture of a woman. 
you don't come up with this in her knee high high heel cowboy boots yeah. and her two piece red dress connected only by a little bit of mesh mesh across the midriff beauty mark eyelashes lipstick and all that would be enough in and of itself but she's she's saying to tails come here and tails is going sure <clears throat> Big ara ara energy happening here. It's and Tails is a little boy in this still. Yeah, it's this, just Tails. This, yeah. this goes this skirts some dodgy ground here. She's got such big lipstick, such big eyeliner, a little beauty mark on her face, and obviously incredibly prominent cleavage. Obviously. And like a full head of Oh yes, big curly long hair blonde, curly the, hair, yeah. A down bit, to the big long black curly hair. Quite a creation. Wish I knew what this was. Because yes, it's from something. Yes, it is. And the same idea expressed in a much nicer way yes. can be found on the facing page from Kimberly Talbot in Newton Llewillow's Merseyside. An artist. That Merseyside again. There's something in the water in Merseyside. Fairy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, Kimberly Talbot can draw. This is a cartoonist. Yes, she she's drawn another sexy girlfriend for Tails. But they look like a little fuzzy Sonicy character. It's not too. She hasn't taken it too far. Yeah. yeah, it's it's sweet, sexy, sexy only in that she's doing the bending down to emphasise the cleavage thing. But even that looks cute rather than salacious. Yeah, and Tails is in the background going hubba hubba over this cute girl fox. All the symptoms of femininity: bow, dress, of course, eyelashes, low cut top, no lipstick. No, not lipstick. One tail, in reference to actual, like, animal tails. Not a tail's tail. It's, you know, orange on not top. Not a tail's tail that ends just in the white tuft. It's, it's, it's white under the whole of the thing and orange over the top of the whole thing. There is one other image that is tails related here, though. Or at least STC think it is. Which is back on the first page, which is just a straight... This is... A straight trace of a screen cap or promotional image from the Deke show, from the ABC show. Deborah, what are you doing where it's Sally Acorn yep. planting a smacker on a dazed Sonic's cheek. It's a, yeah, it's a you know the picture. Screen from the show. You know the one. Yeah. And the caption that's been placed on this is Tails in Red Wig Shocker. I guess they would. It's possible they knew what this was and wanted to do a joke instead, but it has all the air of someone who doesn't even know about the Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon series. I think it's very believable because they, you know, listen. A lot of the kids who send pictures into this comic can't draw very good. And when I look at it, if you took that red wig off of Sally's head, yeah, you know, the way he's drawn the head here looks quite a lot like Tails. Except. No, Tails. One of the famous things about Sally Acorn, not even the one proper sized tail. <laughs> Just a little tuft, like a little bunny rabbit. I think if you asked around in the office, someone would have known what this was a drawing of. And if not... I don't. I genuinely don't even grant them that amount of goodwill. But all the same, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I just don't think it's too much to ask for the official Sonic the Hedgehog <laughs> editorial team to know what Sally Acorn is. Dear points of view. And I say that as an anti-artist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's by Michael Donnelly in Dungannon, County Tyrone, Northern Ireland, uh, who... I can only imagine what his reaction to that was. Yeah, livid. Probably just happy to get printed, get his uh, Crayola mini stampers. Do you remember a day in your childhood in 1997 when you heard what you thought was an old-fashioned steam whistle going off? <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually this guy reading this issue. A few tones over. Yeah. 
Just one or two other pieces of art here. There's one from Philip Hawkins from Ebbuville from Gwent in Wales, uh, who has copied the cover of last year's Valentine's issue, Robotnik <laughs> yeah. on the Cloud, uh, but he's done it on his computer. Yeah. So it looks worse. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I suppose so. He does. I'm not, not, a, not an indictment of the child's skills. No, just, just it, does. That, like, it was 1997. What are you going to do? No, but I'm saying that like it was always going to look worse, wasn't it? Because that's yeah. an actual cover from a comic and this is something a child has drawn. <laughs> True. Could it be Dr. Love? It's Robotnik in his Cupid outfit on the cloud, yes. by the way, from last year's special, if you don't remember. Mm. And then the last one. It's a strange one, this one, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, so this this is... This is two things at once, isn't it? <laughs> it is very much two things. It's just two things. Let, let's start with the main thing. What we have here is Knuckles... Um, well, I nearly said proposing to Amy Rose. Um, it's drawn like that. It's, what he's doing is he's holding out some flowers for her to have. And she is reacting like it's a proposal. You know, the whole cartoon, yeah. hands over the heart thing. Hands clasped over the chest, yeah. Yes, yeah, so something of the, um, the Gary Andrews, Amy. In Gary this. Andrews, yeah, a little bit. This is this is from James Watson in Hadfield and Herefordshire. And it's a, it's, it's a nice drawing. It's a little squished, well, um, yes, uh, proportions-wise, thanks to the way SDC have squished it into the space they have. Them, yeah. Which maybe makes it look like Knuckles is kneeling a bit more than he's supposed to be. But, uh, but yeah, so it's Knuckles... Proposing to Amy, or, or, or asking, or giving Amy flowers. Giving her flowers, yeah. And that that's fine, isn't it? Like that's that's fine in and of itself, yeah. And we've seen many pictures like it. But James, James didn't feel like he'd fully completed the scene. That's not enough for James. No, he needs an, an extra element, doesn't he? And so what we have is the knuckles <laughs> is in full Arsenal kit while he does this. <laughs> And we've seen plenty of pictures of that sort of stuff yeah. as well. But it's just the fact that it's the two things. Yeah. It's just the two things in one picture together. You never, you would never imagine, like, and I know that this is a sweeping generalisation and we have many friends who prove the this wrong. But I don't think of football kids as being the same as I'm going to draw these... Being kids. able to express romantic assent. As being the sort of kid who'd be shipping and drawing romantic pictures of people giving each other flowers. And yet, they, what we have here is that both James and Knuckles showing that they are multifaceted individuals. individuals. <laughs> and it has led to the caption, <laughs> uh, Knuckles the Gooner. Oh, that's a football word, I imagine. Gooner is the nickname of Arsenal fans. Mm. Did you already know that? Uh, I had to look it up, because to me, Gooner means, in the more recent parlance of the internet, oh. a chronic masturbator. Oh, so right. a little unfortunate right. that it would be attached to such a themed graphic zone in this way. Well, I haven't spotted that one. I must have been busy. <laughs> <laughs> you just close the door behind you anyway and clean up when you're done. <laughs> We know, by the way, even we know that it's an Arsenal kit because it has Arsenal yes. across the waistband. <laughs> Probably should have said that, right? We were letting on that maybe we knew like we, we were talking about Arsenal there for a second. No. no, no, no. He's written Arsenal across it uh, three times. And just in case you weren't sure, he's also written Knuckles on <laughs> Knuckles on Knuckles. Knuckles on his own. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. That's the good thing about just having a big mitten hand like yeah, Knuckles. When it space. comes to knuckle tats, they mm. can be any length you want at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he could just have just one big long tat all across his entire body, and that's still a knuckle tat. <laughs> Any tattoo on knuckles <laughs> is a, a knuckle, knuckle tat. tat. 
And any old tat gets to go in this podcast, such as... Diary Dope. I have a bad case of diary. I have a bad case of diary. I have a bad case of diary. Hi everybody, this is the section of the podcast where one of the things we try to do with this podcast is to make you know what it was like to actually be a kid living at this time in this world, being these people who were reading this comic, and so... I'd, well, it, it occurs to me that being 15 in 1997, maybe that chronic masturbator joke wasn't so out of place. <laughs> And so here we have my actual diary from that time. The time, not just that time generally, I mean the two weeks this issue was out. This is real, this is not a bit, this is actually my teenage diary. And this fortnight, I'm doing some Sonic stuff, Chris. There yes, is some that's all the better. Going on. Now, the, now, it's not very interesting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but as marking pegs out in, along the line of our lives, the, the, the you know, it's a sonic thing. Um, I think this is a genuinely interesting time to be hearing about how your relationship with Sonic mm. was evolving, changing, what state of existence it was in. Now, four months, three months out from Sonic 3D. Yeah, the last Mega Drive game. And with nothing on the horizon, you know. Yeah. Thursday the 23rd of January 1997 at 7.49pm I write that I had a cool dream I found the door to the famous one and only toilet aboard the Starship Enterprise D Oh god Dave you sadden me And they had a ball pool in there and uh, my friends from school they're in there playing in the ball pool we're all playing in the ball pool but we quickly had to separate when the Los Locos attacked From Short Circuit (laughs) 2? Wow! <laughs> Los Locos kick your ass! Los Locos kick your face! Los Locos kick your balls into outer space! But they didn't even have to kick your balls into outer space, you were already there, you were on the Enterprise! We're in a ball pool! And it was in outer space! They didn't kick your balls into outer space, it happened already! Was my subconscious doing a cool reference there by recognising that the balls are in outer space, so here's the Los Locos? Interesting. Interesting to think. I think you've just traced the neural pathway that generated them into that dream. Just there, you know. Well done. Now, if it was me going into the bathroom on the Starship Enterprise would just involve some sort of off-colour joke about the captain's log. (laughs) This is the difference between you and I. Sunday the 9th of February 1997 went to Nana and Grandad's to celebrate Aunt's birthday. This aunt is uh, Cousin John's mum. And so while we were there, we must have hung out and we must have talked about STC, me and John. Yes. Because when I got home, I wrote the first part of chapter one of my book, (laughs) Super Sonic Warrior, based on Sonic's adventures with Super Sonic and Lord Sidewinder in the special zone. So I've just read this and I'm dead excited about it. What was the date on this one again? This is the ninth. Oh, yeah, so you would have read this one if you got it first day, yeah. Yeah. See, John missed the issues where Sonic got to the special zone and Super Sonic was separated from him. So I'm writing this to send him the first few chapters so he can catch up Ah. on what he's missed in STC. Starting with Running Wild, then. And I did do that. I'm hoping to keep going and actually finish this as a novel this time. So I've set myself deadlines. I must type parts one and two of Running Wild by Wednesday. Although, I am thinking of shifting it to Saturday because of my French homework. Ruining everything with homework. Quel dommage! It's my actual opinion. Homework should be illegal. Oh, I agree completely. (laughs) Monday, the 10th. No need for that! 
I've typed them both already. Hey. Uh, you are, I'm ahead of the project, so I can do my French homework. <laughs> uh, Wednesday, the original deadline, I finished typing part one of STC's Heroes and Villains. I, I suspect I didn't do my French homework. <laughs> <laughs> I probably wouldn't have got this far without Dave's Deadlines, a new deadlines document in my Dave Saves drawer on the Amiga. Dave saves. Oh, Dave saves, wow. Chris. First and foremost, Dave. Only Jesus saves. So write that down. Second, though, come on, that's a good name for a floppy disk, isn't it? Dave saves. Open palm, slam it in yes, the Yes, that's amazing. That is genuinely fantastic. Four-day weekend! <gasps> Smart day, cool day, Saturday, Sunday! <laughs> I'm glad you remember that. I won't even have remembered this at the time I was doing this. Um, Why could you not? Over the next four days, I will, one, type most of the Supersonic Warrior doc. It wasn't a doc doc, I was just being cool. You mean short for a document yeah. in the way that anim is short anim. for animation. Exactly. You must never, it's very important never to, to say never a spell cool out a word, word. in full. <laughs> yeah. It's neither smart nor cool to do so. That's neither smart nor cool. <laughs> Two, see Andy and get him to bring the Worms Song CD. You remember the Worms Song? Yes, yes, I'm starting to remember, yeah. Last weekend in, in diary life, in diary time, I've been round his house. He's got himself a CD drive on his Amiga now, so he's getting the magazines that come with the CD on the front cover. And this one had a demo of Worms, ooh... Director's Cut, probably, and that had CD audio, including the Worms song, and I was smitten with it. I was going around singing it at school. My friends were already singing along. They never heard it. They just heard me singing it. This is a story of courage, honor, and worms. War had cast a shadow over their once peaceful land. Gunfire filled the air as worm turned against worm. Where so many had fallen, others knew they must follow. For one such worm, this day had already come. When he was two, his father had left, never to return. Three years he had waited for his chance to fight, three years of training, both day and night. And though he was scared as he set off for battle, he knew in his heart it was something he must do. Three inches tall and armed to the teeth, a fine soldier he made, and his name was Boggy B. So I want to tape it. I want him to bring it round so that I can tape it and have it myself. Friday. Today, Andy did lend me the CD with the worm song on. Top priority. Lay my hands on the magazine with the CD on myself. Also today, got the video of... Quiz. Quiz. What did I get the video of today? Think of the, the time. Video of. Think of the time. February 1997. Yes. Oh, big in 1996. Yeah. That you'd want on video. You'd have to have this you'd on video. You'd want to have it keep on video. I mean, you got the Star Wars already. And I'll tell you this. Yeah, I'll tell you this. It's not even stupid. This isn't a Dave thing. This isn't Smurf. <laughs> At least you're honest, eh? It's, uh, hang um, on, let me, let me do a job. It is stupid, but not Dave stupid. <laughs> but not in a Dave sort of no, way. No, in a mainstream way. <laughs> mainstream sort of way. In 1996, a video. 96, was it Independence Day? Yes, it was! Yeah! Yes! 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 
<laughs> yeah, got Independence Day vid, vid, today. Vid! Couldn't say video. Never say the full word. That would not be smart or cool. With, I've forgotten this, the hologram cover. Ooh. I don't Ooh. remember, did I? I must have had Independence Day on video, but I don't remember having one with a hologram cover. Well, no, but neither did I until I... But, so what I'm thinking it must have been, here's what I'm guessing. The hologram is the title just coming forwards a little bit. The rest of it, I think, is a flicker sticker of the White House getting blown up. Well, that's what I was going to say when you say hologram. Do you mean a lenticular hologram yeah. or do you mean a shiny? <laughs> that's the word. A lenticular, not a flicker sticker. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, they were also called that. Well, there's there's three things hologram can mean, really. It's like mm. legitimate hologram. A hologram, yeah. The shiny stickers that you get in mm. sticker albums. Yeah, not a hologram. Not a hologram. Or a lenticular also, not a hologram. Well, a lenticular... Do they call them holograms? A lenticular hologram? The question is, and we can't even Google this because you, we need to see it in physical real life. Can you do 3D hologram lenticular things? 3D? What do you mean by 3D? Like coming at you? Yeah, like Cleopatra. Right. <laughs> now, I've been thinking about that precise phrase just this week, oddly enough. All right, yeah. Now, this has nothing to do with anything else that's going on here. Coming <laughs> at you like Cleopatra. Uh-huh. How did that wind up entering? Look, who remembers Cleopatra? Yeah. A, a, a young girl band from the late 90s in the UK. I remember them being very wee. They were little, weren't they? Yeah. That phrase become so embedded in popular culture that people our age will still throw it out even now. Now, were they only called Cleopatra because it can be forced to rhyme with coming at you? Again, this is what I have been made to wonder, and it doesn't rhyme at all. Cleopatra coming at you. No, no you have to. These no, don't rhyme. no. Obviously, if you pronounce it like that, flipping Jimmy Carr reading out rap lyrics in a quiz question. Cleopatra coming at you. <laughs> Right, was the phrase coming at you like Cleopatra already an existing thing in something cooler than we're aware of? And that's why Cleopatra said that in that song. Actually, turns out Cleopatra is the in-real-life name of one of the girls from Cleopatra. Presumably that makes her the main one, although I don't remember it being the sort of group that had a main one. As for the phrase, we have not been able to find any evidence that the phrase coming at you like Cleopatra existed before the song Cleopatra coming at you. If you have, and I've consulted people, if you have any evidence to the contrary, please let us know. The difficulty here is, of course, that the writings of the young have overtaken the writings of the old on the internet, and so it would be difficult to find any record of this existing before that song, but I can't find any record of that existing before that song. And yes, you can do 3D lenticular. Of course you can. The whole way that it works is that you can see different sides of the thing, so with your eyes in different positions you can see different sides and you can show you different things at one 3D. I throw it to the masses to debate as we return to what we were actually talking about. So, I'm writing notes for my Worms novel. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I'll send to Andy Wozname, who invented the game. I got the notes for that somewhere in the flat. I'll dig them out. Um, not now. Didn't progress beyond the notes, then. No. Monday the 17th of February. Went out to town after unsuccessfully trying to copy the Worms stuff. I don't know what that means. And I bought one of the last two copies in the shop. So now I've got it on CD. Cool. You must not yet have mastered the 
copying from CD technology. I absolutely had mastered that. I don't know what I was having trouble with. Well, look at you. <laughs> no, what we're talking about is onto a tape. Like, I didn't have a replicator set up or anything. I don't mean a Star Trek one. I mean a CD burner. Didn't have that. <laughs> Those locos stole it while they were up there, you know. Fenced it. So anyway, now I've got it, and I've got it here in the flat. It's still here. I still have the worm song on CD here. Tuesday. Oh, this is... I'm a bit embarrassed about this, but I'm going to put it in anyway, because I'm, I'm... Wow, okay. This must be a real bad well, one. Well, so I, I don't get embarrassed when it's a silly child having a silly child idea, but this is a silly child having a too-big-for-his-boots idea, kind of. Oh, okay. Tuesday, the 18th of February, 97. About 94 sort of time, Andy Davidson showed a new original game called Total Wormage to a publisher. After only five minutes of play, the man said, do you want it published? It went on to become a bestseller. That could be me, that could. Aww. If I had... An idea. Reality! The great gaming package I'm saving for. They publish whatever you want them to of your work, and you get dosh. Easy money! It should take me about, cool, just under ten weeks to save up for. Right, what? I ne So I never got this. I can't remember what it was. Uh. But when I googled it, because I googled it, it turns out it is actually quite rare, and Amiga fans are, are sort of constantly trying to find it. Seems like a demo of it came out, and it was called Reality Game Engine, I think. And mm. the demo of it came on an Amiga Power cover disc or something like that, but then you sent off for and paid for the upgrade to the full version. And it looks like it was specifically good at making Dizzy clones, so I'd have been happy there. And it's by a bloke called Brian Bell, I've found out, but I can't find anything about this bit about who, someone offering to publish anything you made in it. Yeah. What the hell? What's that about? Yeah! And now that I've read that, I'm remembering the, the white-hot excitement of that. Like, we will give, we will sell you the products that will allow you to make games, and then when you've done that, like the Oliver Twins before you, you can send your Dizzy games to be published, and they will be. Imagine the excitement of that. Me, at this age, being told, you can make games and have them published. But I haven't found any evidence of this, so I'm guessing what it is, is that basically, you know, Brian Bell was probably happy to distribute games you'd made on it to PD catalogues for free, and if any pennies happened to trickle through, perhaps he'd give them some to you in exchange for making his game engine take off. But I doubt any of that happened. Weird. Weird. But in the next entry of the Diary Zone, we are going to start to hear about the games that I intend to make using it. I wonder how long that will go on for before you realise you're not getting it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the plan gets even stupider before it peters out, let me tell you. Tune in next time, folks. <laughs> same day of time, same day of channel. Sonic's World. Boiling Point. Written by Lou Stringer. Art by Roberto Corona. Bob Corona. Colours by Steve White. And letters by Gordon Robson. On a mission to free slaves from one of Robotnik's factories in the chemical plant zone, the Freedom Fighters do not expect to find Vermin the Cybernik in charge of the operation. Eager to settle the score with his evil counterpart, the hot-headed Shortfuse leaps blindly into battle. But in the process, he gives away the team's position, and in the ensuing firefight, Johnny Lightfoot is nearly sent tumbling into a vat of boiling chemicals. Though Shortfuse is able to defeat Vermin and the villains retreat, Amy is 
furious with Short Fuse for his careless behaviour and his lack of concern for Johnny, and the short-tempered Cybernick responds by quitting the team. Baller from Amy in this one. Yeah. Love this. I, I love an Amy in this yeah. one. Yeah. Now, this is a, a payoff to what we've yeah. seen in the last issue or two of uh, of Short Fuse, uh, uh, his hot-headedness uh, actually having, you know, plot repercussions. It's brilliant. I'm a little disappointed that it's over and done in such a short space of time, to be honest. Mm. But I suppose it's realistic to imagine that the second Short Fuse gets called out on some shit, he's like, I find it, and leaves. It's pretty in character as far as the the short-tempered hothead aspect of his character goes, which, as we've noticed, is not really something that is factored into his characterization between his introduction and this last handful of stories. That's the thing. Because it's so... Right, before we get too deep into that, because that's the main thing to talk about, I just want to focus in on the brilliant premise of this bit of evil that is being done, which is that Robotnik's, Robotnik's troopers, they've invented something and they're forcing these guys to make. Something that you can drop into a perfectly clean lake to pollute it. What a, uh, That's the, the end point of Robotnik's sort of ideas. It's not even the offshot of any kind of industry. He just wants to pollute nice lakes. So they've invented something you can drop into those lakes and they will become polluted as that thing dissolves. And they are called... Toxo cubes. That is f***ing brilliant. You know I didn't get it <laughs> until you started building up to it. And I was like, what's so funny about... To- oh. <laughs> do you, you, the Americans listening won't have them. If we have any... Do we have any Americans? That, yeah, we have a couple. I'm sure we have a few. Oxo cubes, everybody. They are uh, stock. They are meat stock, granulated, dried meat stock in a cube. You crumble it into a pot of mince and now you've got tasty mince. That's it. That's, that's what, if you're making a shepherd's pie, crumble one of these cubes into it. The cube crumbles. It all dissolves into it. It's got lovely. It's got like salt. It's a bit like gravy. It's all that sort of thing. Gives you the flavour that you that you boil into boiling water on, on your mince. The steam from that goes up on your hands, and you go. Oh, I didn't get into right now. Yes, that is good and very stringery. It's very loose stringery, and you see them. You can see the cubes and they're oxo cubes. They're little brown. Oh, you know what? For some reason, I got it in my head that that was a stack of them that Amy and Co are leaning over there. That they were. Gl- oh, I was. I right. was all. I was all wrapped up in the idea of energon cubes. I was. I didn't want to be too like rude. Evil green glowing cubes. I didn't want to be too rude, but I, I was like, he's thinking of energon cubes. I wanted on record that I have other points of reference in popular culture. Listen, I could be, <laughs> I could be just as bad as you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought, I thought that's what it was that they were like evil green glowing energy cubes. Uh, but no, there's a guy just walking back with a stack of them in his arms, and they're just very big oxo cubes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, that's another great point added to this issue. Then, but you're right. It's very loose string. This strip is very loose stringery because in this one we get all the different bits of loose stringer. We open on a daft joke but it's a proper good one and then we lead to some real good storytelling that's like part of the ongoing stringerverse of sonic's world and sonic stuff and it's grown up and mature you know god i'm tempted to put this next to the porker lewis issue as like a the the fact that amy goes like no enough actually no this is the not kind of behavior that we can not that we it's not that like for, as a person she won't tolerate this kind of behavior it's like this isn't going to help the team as a leader yeah. as a part of a team yeah. yeah the only thing i would say against it is that i wish that the story about this conflict this problem of short was a bit 
bigger, lasted a little longer, uh, instead of being literally set up in the last appearance of the character two issues ago and then paid off and concluded apparently concluded in this issue i mean i don't know we'll see there's a few issues before issue 100 yet i don't know if there'll be any fallout from this obviously the freedom fighters are now without short fuse that's their big gun lost so we'll see but um yeah i mean it's nice to bring it into the but it, but it would be nice if they could be a bigger part of the character's personality as part of the team in his interactions with others instead of just being the get rid of short fuse button that is pushed to to get the character out of the strip but of course three issues of sdc for a child at the time is is longer than we're giving it credit for it that's true it's two months i suppose yeah you think about it like that yeah Yeah. which isn't to us that's nothing but to a kid it's a term nearly isn't it (laughs) and also there was some stuff about that actually wasn't there in the original vermin story about him lepping into action they didn't call it out as really negative in that story if i recall but he still did it you know know. so no i guess it's been it's been percolating a little while Anyway, but anyway, this is good. Happy to see Vermin again too. I didn't know yes. if he'd be back soon or anything, but yeah, just nice to see Short Fuse and his dark counterpart. And seeing him again, like this is the one where where Short Fuse actually defeats him this time. Because obviously, last time they fought Vermin, tagged him with the uh, paralyzing virus through his tail. But uh, the trick's only going to work once, basically, because Short Fuse knows it's coming, grabs his tail, and swings him by the tail and smashes him into some machinery that explodes which distracts the troopers long enough for Tails to fly up and grab Johnny from where he's dangling over this vat of chemicals. Well, because yeah, during when they're both in the grip and the Cybernics are facing off, Amy says, Short Fuse, forget Vermin, fly up and grab Johnny. And Short Fuse does not leave the fight and continues. We must have talked about this before now. How great is Short Fuse looking at the minute? Oh, Look God, at that yeah. panel where Amy's yelling out at him. And this is from the artist who created Short Fuse with Stringer as well. You think how different he... Corona! It looks nothing alike. I know! Completely different! Maybe a little part of it is obviously the superhero we redesigned that's been given to Short Fuse since, where he doesn't have the big squirrel feet anymore. No, but But it's the proportions proportions of the character. He's such a perfect... It's like, you see artwork today. Abby herself is doing some right now, uh, at the time of recording anyway, where she's reimagining STC characters to look like modern Sonic aesthetic characters. You wouldn't need to change Short Fuse at all. He is the perfect little Sonic dude. <laughs> Look at him with his big feet and his big hands and his big head and his little round body. Gotta love how he looks. But uh, yeah, the, so Short Fuse swinging vermin into the machine causes this explosion that, that wrecks the factory. And the villains all just teleport out. And it's like, I, I like that as a, an economy of writing sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, you know what? This is not the important bit of the story. This bit is over. I, it's, I'm not even interested in having them retreat. They just teleport out and that's it. It doesn't matter Get that bit out of the way. On we go. And then, so they're escaping. Yeah, says Short Fuse. Never mind, the machine is destroyed and the workers are free. We've won. And the Amy's like, yes, but Johnny was almost killed. Why didn't you rescue him? Wise up, Amy. The mission must always take priority. Besides, Johnny's safe now. And then Johnny in the background's going, no thanks to you, pal. Yeah. A rare moment of standing up for himself. Yeah, I mean, fair play. But I mean, nobody takes any notice, which is about right for Johnny. (laughs) And then Amy continues, ever since you joined us, spittle flying from Look the mouth in yeah. a proper nose-to-nose, head-on, stare-down with short fuse. Ever since you joined us, you've put us in danger by being selfish. Our priority is to save lives. Okay, Amy. I know when I'm not wanted. I'll fight Robotnik and his goons my way from now on. I'm out of here. 
and off he goes. And Amy just goes, go paddle your own canoe then. And Tails goes, don't forget to ride. It's difficult to tell how sarcastic that is. Go kick rocks. <laughs> yeah, it's a little, I feel like Tails is, this is, Tails will be a little sad about this. Yeah. Amy's like, ah, whatever. And Tails is like, but then Amy but does. Then, it, the Tails does back Amy up. Then he says he had it coming for some time, Amy. That's so mature. I love that. I love that. That is we've we've mentioned before that there's a been an a, a, an emotional character growth for Tails over the course of the comic, and this is just another backup to that. And then Amy makes the joke, of course. It's because this is this is a good one. This is a good one where it ends on a Beano joke that is like, oh, the title was upon all along, go and because it, it didn't even truly clock with me that that's what was happening you know but Amy says I'm sorry to see him go things just reached boiling point that's the title of the strip right but then Johnny Lightfoot says gulp don't remind me because he was hanging over a vat of boiling chemicals he was going to boil and there's a boiling point and it was boiling stuff it was actually really clever yeah that's actually really good that's a really good way of ending on a gag. Without undermining that it's a serious page. Yeah, it doesn't undermine it in any way, yeah. No. Maybe... maybe <laughs> Johnny does look very silly. <laughs> yes, he's biting his lip. Yes. But it's hard to bite your lip when you have big buck teeth that you still want to be sticking out over it. So it's like he's biting his lip with everything except his... Yeah. So he's got this big, wide, downturned mouth. He's got very big, wide eyes. His hair is jutting out at all angles just because that's how Corona draws that. He's got the sweat flying. It's a real, like, boom, uh, sort of face. It's a little bit on the buses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you butler. Next issue, Solidarity. No, it's cracking, we strip. That was, yeah, what a good issue of Sonic the Comic this has been. As I say, only thing I would say against it was simply that I wish that the whole short fuse thing hadn't flipped on a switch, essentially. Like, immediately after the strip that started calling it out, it brought it to a close. And this idea of short fuse being like a source of conflict within the team, I would have just enjoyed seeing more of that and seeing it really escalate on page before it blew up. You know, that's all. And the answer to that, of course, is to have him just come back and for that to remain. Like, that, that, that could happen, but... Uh... I doubt it will, though. I think he's I think he's gone now. Yeah, th- th- I mean, remember, there's only two issues left until issue 100. Yes, but there are issues after that, remember? <laughs> oh, no, I mean, he'll come back after that, but they won't need him after that. Sonic will be back. Oh, I see what you mean. Remember, yeah. There's only ever replacement Sonic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, although, yeah, I think, there's an, I think there's an argument for the team with him and with Sonic, and this is it. It's this... It, I mean, he, he, he's he's the shadow role in the team, really. <laughs> oh, no! Do you know what I mean? He's the rival, he's the hot-headed one. He's even black and red. Yeah. He's got jets that come out of his shoes. Yes. <laughs> I really love that what kicked him off was that he saw his villain. Mm. His key villain was what... He couldn't hold back after that. It revealed what was in him all along. He kicks off... And he's a liability. He has to go. Like that's cool. It was, you know, it was because we've always said it was either that or it was that they become aware that at any time he could snap back into being a bad robot, mm. which they didn't really explore. Which it's a shame. This is a few more issues with him on the team. There's so many things you could do. I do get the sense this is the last time Short Fuse might be interesting. Though I genuinely don't know exactly where Short Fuse lives. In Sonic the Comic after issue 100. No. And maybe we'll find out, maybe we won't. I'm genuinely not sure. We'll uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I got a good laugh out of this first one, which is titled Man Date. 
Dear Megadroid, I have to tell you about what happened last year when I put STC's Valentine's card to good use. I decided to do the grown-up thing and give it to a girl I liked. Hey, Loved are. it so much that she agreed to go out with me. Yes! Thanks to STC, I now have a girlfriend. Hell yeah! I'm really delighted about that! <laughs> Listen, it's wholly possible that he didn't have a girlfriend by the time this letter got published. <laughs> it's wholly possible he never had a girlfriend in the first place and just wanted to look like he did by writing <laughs> into a comic about Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> the he in question there is Tomos Robert from Clan Diesel in Diffid Wheels, Mega Drive, Master System, Game Gear, 32X, and Mega CD oh. owner. Which is what prompts Megadroid's response. Gotta hand it to you, Tom. All that hardware and you still have time for a love life. <laughs> this guy's got it all, hasn't he? <laughs> all the consoles and a girlfriend. Yeah, but as Sonic once said, is he happy? <laughs> <laughs> and the answer is yes, of course. Um, it's worked out for me, but I envy his life at this age. <laughs> Knuckles rap. Mmm. A prescient title to this Ooh. email, uh, which is an email. In fact, they're all emails. A an allusion here you understand to a rap on the knuckles. I didn't even think of it. I didn't even think of it. Because this letter writer is about to admonish knuckles. Therefore, it is a knuckles rap thereon. I have been so affected by my early online life that I cannot see the words knuckles rap and think of anything sure. other than here I come rougher than the rest of them. A few years ago now, on Twitter, I posted a photo of a bit of a book I was reading. An actual grown-up adult's book that contains the phrase An excerpt from The Silent Companions by Laura Purcell Peters snapped his whip. The horses snorted and strained in their harness, but the carriage only swayed. What now? The whip cracked again. Hooves sloshed in the mud. Knuckles. <laughs> the whip cracked again. Hooves sloshed in the mud. Knuckles rapped on the roof. <laughs> well, I can't deny that the image immediately popped into my head before I even had time to think and admonish myself for doing so. <laughs> it's because it's a lady riding in an old carriage and someone bangs on the <laughs> roof, probably the, the driver. Dear Megadroid, I remember the I remember the days. I remember them days when only Sonic and Tails would run around the Emerald Hill Zone, saving their friends from Doctor Robotnik. Now what's happening is that Knuckles is spoiling it, and this kid has had enough. Knuckles wouldn't even be here without Sonic. So all you Knuckles fans who think he should be Kingpin, make your own comic and get lost. And that is from, please supply name and address, Sega Mega Hogtag winner. There's a Mega Hogtag out in the in the ether somewhere. Can one day, can we, can, is that the one that we'll find? Will someone clearing out the old Tavistock Place cellar, will they put that on eBay in one day? And Megadroid replies to that one, not that I'm one to put the echidna among the pigeons, <laughs> but over to you, Dread fans. You know, send in your responses. Megadroid is essentially quote tweeted this anonymous <laughs> individual <laughs> for dunks. <laughs> oh, he's ahead of his time, wasn't he? Um, oh, I yeah. find myself ripped in 
Twain. And I'm, I'm a foot in both of these worlds. Yes, I do miss the days when it was just Sonic and Tails running around yeah, yeah. saving their friends. The Martin Adams days. And yes, I, I love Knuckles as well, though. It's, oh, it's a tricky one. Oh, well, anyway, the last one here is titled No Pupils. It comes in from Michael Richardson in Amersham in Buckinghamshire. And he asks, why is it that when the cool blue one turns super, he doesn't have any pupils? <laughs> if you don't know what I mean, I suggest you look into the eyes of the humans who think they're in charge. And you'll see what I mean. Oh! Well, Megadroid replies, an eye-opening observation, Michael. As for looking into the Hume's eyes, I'd rather not get that close, if you don't mind. <laughs> All three of those letters in fra- via email. Yeah. Which is just always nice to note. Mm. Which, to be fair, probably does mean that Thomas Roberts' letter is recent. Oh, yes, I suppose so. And also, why didn't they email the second one back and say, could you give us a name and address we can put? Because that could have, they could have sorted that out that afternoon. They don't have to wait. True. They don't have to supply anything. Man, you never got back to them. Mm. I don't know why you wouldn't. But And then finally, we have uh, one piece of fan art here from Craig Muir of Paisley, Scotland. Star-crossed lovers this, isn't it? It's Smoochums. It's another smoochy, smoochy picky. Yeah, Sonic and Amy standing on two sides, or either on two cliffs or on two sides of an earthquake. They are, they are physically removed from one another. Mm. And with the implication to me that they're from different worlds, they can never truly be together. <laughs> but Because you can see the stars behind them, star-crossed lovers, you know, I think that's what's being alluded to here. And a big heart floating in, in, in the sky, you know. A big heart to show that they are in love. To be honest, no, I would have thought that you might have said they were from different worlds from the hideous alien proboscis that are yes. protruding from their faces. Prehensile lips are great long shafts of lips stretching over the gap. Like, I recently saw a video of a snail attempting to get over a long gap. Yes, I saw the same video. Yes, it's far too long for the snail, but amazingly, it genuinely does manage to stretch out while keeping hold of the side it's on with its back end and reach the other end. And you can see it stretching its little feelers out. I know they're just eyes, and that's probably not what it's doing, but it looks like... Anyway, that's what this looks like. They are stretching their lips over the gap. It's... Well, it's revolting, isn't it? (laughs) It's quite bad. I mean, it's because... He's drawn both lips on the upper lip. Yes. Yes, you're right there. It's hard to describe, but that is what it is. Because, yes, a puckered lips that would be on on the end of a stretch if you were doing a cartoon puckered lip kiss. That's the top and bottom lip. And he hasn't quite worked that out. He just knows the general shape. So instead... He's drawn the whole smile back where the smiles normally are. They look like elephant trunks. Yeah, they do. They do. Uh, it's a weird one. Mm. But it's not quite as weird as um, that Tales being propositioned by an older woman one. No, not so, quite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, and the uh, the little caption they've put on is lipo suction. That's fair enough. Lipo, like lip, yeah, but like yeah. lip and You're right there, yeah. Sucking. Yeah, you get it? Yeah, that's fine. Weird end though it might be. What a cracking issue of STC this was though. Eh? Oh, it's flipping great one, wasn't it? Ooh, yeah. It really felt like a reward for long time reading across all <laughs> four strips, even right down to Max Decap coming back yeah. in Decap Attack. Payoffs, conclusions, the beginning of the end for everything that the comic is about right now. Exciting stuff. Exciting stuff. And the excitement continues into next issue. Which, uh, oh, really stretching it with the old puns here. Internet. 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 Because, because there's the, a picture. Uh, the picture is from the next issue strip, which is of the Freedom Fighters being trapped in a net yep. by uh, some uh, troopers. Troopers. 
internet internet, internet. you know like internet in, like, like, like the world wide web internet. but into net internet internet it's a, it all in the new sonic's world story solidarity plus sonic knuckles decap attack flasher badnik pinup <laughs> a flasher pinup <laughs> 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 That's why they had to put Bandic there. Well, they always say Bandic pinup, but in this yes. instance, it's very much the white, the white Power, Power Ranger. Ranger, isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and more. STC 98 on sale Wednesday, the 19th of February, 1987, £1.25. Oh, it's good to feel re energized now in yeah. the new year, I must say. After yeah. after a, a, a bit of a duff run for a little bit there. I've enjoyed it. I liked those ones. No, you ain't. It's it. not just the strips in isolation, <laughs> remember. It's just like the whole comic just being gag strips all, all the time. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're on the run up to. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be good now. Yeah, can't wait. And you can experience it with us, listeners. You can find this show in various places that uh, podcasts are to be found. But you can get the MP3s directly from stctp.zone. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. We are at Sonic Podcast, but Dave and I are on there individually as well. I am at Chris McFeely. And I am at Demon Tomato Dave, and we're on YouTube under those names as well. As well as other places which you can find if you go to stctp.zone. You can support this podcast if you go to patreon.com forward slash stctp. Like Danny Kelly has done. Uh, I just wanted to point this out. This came into the mailbag. Um, an automatic message from Patreon. Oh. Uh, one of our patrons, Danny Kelly, just edited their pledge from £2.40 to £2.50. And I was like, okay, the, thanks, but I, I, I don't know why you felt the need to do that. And then I realised, is Danny doing a joke there? What would the... did, did they edit the pledge when the price of the comic the went The rising up? price of STC, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Did we say on the episode, you better edit your pledges up? I feel like maybe we did. (laughs) (laughs) But whatever amount you pledge, you'll get access to the bonus vault of uh, new videos, uh, including our full run-through of the first three Martin Adams novels and Dave's dreadful, dreadful little fanfiction. Nothing little about it, folks. (laughs) And of Mobius. But now, by the time you hear this at the start of February, we've we've had a little time off uh, recording new Patreon videos. We've been slowly releasing all the ones we had built up. But we are back in motion now. We should be... By by the time you hear this, we will have done the first installment of the fourth and final Martin Adams novel, Sonic in Castle Robotnik, which will be running this year. Sometime then this month as well, we will also be starting... Dave's other terrible little fanfic, the sequel to the ends of Mobius, Secrets of Mobius, which has never been shared on the internet before because even Dave thinks it's bad. So... The big change that we've made to Patreon videos this year, some of the, some of the, sometimes are the reasons that we didn't have them coming out on too tight or too regular a schedule is because we were pre-recording them and it required a bunch of editing and stuff. And it's like this year we're like, we're cutting down on the editing workload. So what we're doing with uh, Patreon is that we're doing live streams of, the, yeah. of them. They'll probably only be about half an hour long or so. Short live streams of each chapter Jesus. of this book. Well, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Of the uh, of the each chapter or two of the book and each part of Secrets of Mobius, we currently have those lined up for Thursdays. We even started a Google Calendar, folks, so we can keep track <laughs> of where each of us needs to be at any given time, so we can do this all on time, twice a month, uh, one 
Castle Robotnik, one secret Pound 25. <laughs> <laughs> and you can come, if you're a Patreon uh, supporter, you can sign in, you'll get the link, and you can come on and uh, watch us rip this rubbish apart live on air. Yeah, join in. I mean, I will not be able to get through a stream without looking at the chat, so you'll be able to interact with of us course, a bit as well. Of course, of course, yes. <laughs> it's going to be fun. So, see you there. And you can read along at home if you have a Castle Robotnik or get an EPUB or something, you know. Yeah. If, if there are jokes we don't get. Yes! You can tell us what the references are. So, you know, you could help. You could help live on air if you're a Patreon supporter and want to join in. Also helping us is Sonic the Comic the Band, who recorded our theme song. Not for us, it's an existing song. That's called Synchronize, and you can find it at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com. But we have been Sonic the Comic the Podcast, and we will see you next, next time. time.